Let me tell you something, Internet. The Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd. You know what that means? It means that I am not going to want, even though I'm a really covetous person who's always wanting stuff, like I can't stop it. I can trust. I can believe. I can know that according to his promises of a resurrection, which paid for me, which immortalized me, which has me looking forward to a life of the world to come sealed by water, sealed by food, a guaranteed reality, knowing that I shall not want. It's a matter of time alone, or one might even say perspective. Uh, You might even say then that's just what we call the faith. The Lord is my shepherd, so I'm not going to want. I know he's going to make me lie down in green pastures, lead me beside fresh waters, and redeem my, well, it says soul in the English, right? Nephesh in the Hebrew, breath in the reality, which has a lot to do with your mouth. He's redeemed your mouth so that, yeah, though you walk through this valley of the shadow of death, well, you can speak about that fear, the fear of man that disturbs you so much, with a greater fear, the fear of Jesus, which is uh, different. Different, different, different. Good morning. Welcome to Saturday Morning Chill. This is the Mad Christian Reality. I I don't even know if that's true anymore. This is what? Today is the second blue moon in October 2020 on the day of All Hallows. All of it is bunk superstition and conspiracy theory without question. And yet, isn't it weird? (laughs) Where's the wolf man? I'm waiting for him to show up. It it is all the movies that I've ever watched in my entire life have congealed into this year as a reality. And it's it's kind of terrifying. But I realized, you know what that is? That's just me using the symbols of my past to try to interpret or understand my present reality. Men have always done that. Just It used to be that people could think with words because they grew reading, and now we think with pictures because we grew watching. And so we're kind of dumb, actually. And we're being manipulated by the dumb uh, to do what the... Uh, also dumb, but had parents that were wealthy and read and left them something like a giant, you know, massive toy to play with. If you want more of that, go check out the Brief History of Power stuff. This morning, we're going to, like, dismiss all of that a little bit. We're going to dismiss it by recognizing that there's a greater reality than the one you see, feel, interpret, understand, or whatever. And that reality is that he is risen, period. It's done. Jesus Christ is not dead. He's a man, like me, a little younger, well, much older, something. I don't even know. White hair, golden sash, pretty sweet action, really, and planning to return at some point to kind of wipe up this mess. But the thing is, he lets this mess go on because he cares about you, and he really wants you to like, figure out that this ain't it. This ain't what's supposed to be. And he's like, hey, I'm shouting out. By the, by the way, I saved you from it. Yeah, it's all good. Like, I'm the king. And you're like, well, I don't want to do it. I don't like this. I like my religion better. Right? And, and you won't listen to the reality. But the fact, hey, look, America, 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 just sit down and listen. The Scopes Monkey Trial is like one generation removed from this. This was not very long. This did not take long to fall apart. You know, the Scopes Monkey Trial. Oh, we'll tell them they're all monkeys. It'll be fine. Right? And, and what? utter, utter collapse. So we got people on both sides talking civil war, the most really irresponsible thing to say publicly. And now I got to say, because everybody's like, and I can say, well, who cares? Who cares? Okay. 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 So worst case scenario, the, the one you don't want to win wins, right? Whoever he is, the one you don't want to win wins on Tuesday. And the result is civil war on like Wednesday. Do you have food? Oh no. But, but wait, 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 but before that, before that, before that, before that, are you going to church on Sunday? This one? Are you going to church the Sunday after? Because if you're not, I'm going to suggest you're worried about the wrong thing. Whatever it is you're worried about. You know, if you're not praying on both sides of this election for Jesus Christ to do good to those who are good, 
and to send those who are crooked away, away from the good, so they would not disturb us. If you're not praying that on both sides of this election, that I would contend you have another religion kind of working with numero uno that you think you have, right? Or maybe you don't like this kind of stuff and you're watching the mock. Well, okay, then then acknowledge it, right? Right? So let's let's let our spiritualities test themselves against each other. I will test my ancient, public, uh, received, collected, able to be studied outside of me talking about it, religion over your, like, I just practice my personal spirituality any day. Really? Yeah, fool. <laughs> and I don't mean to be mean. I mean, it's what the Bible calls you when you don't think there's a thing called wisdom that others can know. I mean, which is what you, I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm just spiritualized. Can't do my own thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Nerd. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be a jerk again, but like, you're not thinking, man. You're not thinking. Uh, what you're doing is you're feeling. And we live in an age of feelings. Again, made by symbols, pictures. We, we feel what we see on the TV and it's so important. But like, you ever write down what you see on the TV? I mean, ever. Probably not. And if you did, did you ever go back and look at it and see what kind of tripe you came up with? Because mostly it would be if you took time, like did it for a week. You're like, if you look at that input for your life, right? Take notes on whatever's on your screen for a week uh, for entertainment, randomly that you don't think about. And pretty good, but news, count news in this, right? Count me in this. Huh? Anything that's talking at you, music at you, right? I mean, if it's a playlist or whatever, you know the playlist, like, like shorthand. You don't have to like take detailed notes on every word. But track for a week what the inputs are into your head. And see if you don't come, with, uh, come up with something that's like not what you thought. And maybe not what you want. And let me just tell you that like it's not that hard to change it. As soon as you can admit to yourself that the blue screen's a drug. <laughs> and that those who invented it knew that a long time ago. And uh, have intended a future for the world where conspiracy theories aside, they run it and you don't. So, <laughs> you know, they tell you what's good for you and, and you don't. And this is most forms of government in history on some level. Hierarchy has got to be there eventually. I retweeted Nafal uh, Ravnikat this morning. And he says, there's only two ways you can pull people together. I think he's completely right on this. There's two ways you can pull people together. One is with a market. You get them to share stuff. Right, benefit from each other. The other one is with a a, a, a sword. You, you round them up and you force them to do it. Ultimately, all government descends into one of those two things. I'd call them both still hierarchy. The market operates generally with a hierarchy of trust and influence uh, as opposed to an, a hierarchy of the sword. Although it gets big enough and you got to keep the evil men away with the sword. You have all these problems that evil men create. And we're all evil at some level, so that makes it tough. But take the point, right? There's really no way to avoid having someone make laws above you. With that said, you live in a country where you have the biggest voice you've ever had in history. And we really do kind of stand at a moment where it could go away. And I'm not going to say who right now, just in case you're just tuning in, I'm not going to say who I think is going to make it go away. But, but let me just suggest that there are potentials in both narratives for a future of totalitarianism. Yeah, it's, it's pretty likely, really. Like, let me just put the worst case scenario for most people who are allowed to talk freely about this stuff uh, is that Trump wins, right? That, that's the worst case scenario for the people who are allowed to talk freely and publicly about what they think in our country is that Trump wins. And so um, <laughs> he leads a, a racist, white supremacist, quiet movement that congeals the deep state powers of the federal government to basically control power in one small area wherein only the people he wants get inside access and most of the minorities on the, on the outside. 
Minorities should also really include anyone who's white and doesn't make more than $100,000 a year by themselves, right? <laughs> really should, you're a minority almost in America now. It's very close. <laughs> and so just like, that's fine too, right? So that's one end. That's Trump wins and we have a totalitarian supremacist movement within the powers of the White House. Okay, so the other side, if you want to go like full on conspiracy, the other side is that is that Biden wins and you have like this strange globetrotting sexual pervert billionaire Epstein Island thing going through the White House, right? Worshipping some sort of weird uh, eyes wide shut they killed him while he was making the movie. Did they kill him? I don't know. No one knows. Do you remember that movie? Uh, showing you the inside workings of Hollywood right before, was it Stanley Kubrick? Yeah. Like, what, that is going on in D.C. under Obama? Oh my goodness, it's going to go on more and they're going to start stealing our children, right? Both sides. Both sides. Who do you trust? Now, I'm, I've, I've been so public about why I'm voting Trump. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with pro-life. It has everything to do with believing that the law should protect the weakest of these. And if it does that, the society will thrive. And if you're going to not protect the weakest of these, but instead kill them and then sell their bodies for parts, well, your society is going to fall apart. It's just kind of the way it works. So I'm voting pro-life, like down the ticket, always. It's, am I a one-issue voter? We're going to get to this a little bit later. But, but <clears throat> it was said to me by a friend named Frisbee the Hand, who uh, is, is wise beyond, beyond her kin. Uh, she, she said... <laughs> everyone, and she quoted Al Mohler, but fair enough. Everyone is a, is a one ticket or one issue voter. Everyone is. Everyone is. It's just a matter of which the issue, what the issue is. So if you're mad at a pro-lifer for being a one issue voter, that just means that's not your issue. You're not voting on all the issues. You're not. You, you, you think about all the issues. To be sure, I think about all the issues. I care about them desperately, but I have one that matters at the end of the day. I have a line I won't cross. I really do. And generally, it's like killing people needlessly. That's, that's mine. That's my line, right? No matter what your other reasons or other things happen, that's my line. Because I think if you can just kill anyone needlessly, like one person, and it's just allowed, once a year, once a year we scapegoat, you know, the virgin in the fire, fire in the volcano. Oh, the pagans, right? Well, what we're doing, right? I think that you do that, though, that's when it falls apart. That's the proof it is falling apart. You show you have a guilt. You show you have a need for sacrifice. You show you're afraid of death, but you can't honestly deal with, with the reality. The fact is, you're a one-issue voter no matter what it is. And if your issue is against pro-life voting, that's interesting. Why is that? What are you really about? What are you really about? So I'm not going to be shy about the fact that I'm going to cast for Trump on Tuesday. And I'm going to do it on Tuesday, like live and in person because, and I, my, my, my wife kind of uh, doesn't really laugh at me the way I want her to when I say this, but like, I really don't want to live in America where I can't vote on November 3rd. I mean, I don't care on one level. And like, look, if we're going to keep the mythology, can we at least keep the mythology? Like, don't take that away too. Jeez, like, at least I thought I was in a republic. Now, I now I mean, I always knew, I kind of knew it was an empire. I kind of could see what was happening, but I didn't have any control of that. What am I going to do, right? But now you take that away from all of us. That's the thing that at least bound us together. That's the thing that might cause a red wave to actually happen because it's an ideology that transcends ethnicity. Can that happen? Is it possible? Is it possible for something someone thinks, something someone believes, a conviction an idea, a truth. Can it transcend ethnicity? Can it transcend culture? Can we just say culture because we're going to get all angry and become racist? Uh, culture. Can it transcend culture? Habits, patterns, thoughts, words, languages. Can it? Now, if you say no, and I have good friends who do, uh, I'm going to say, how did Jesus do it? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say that every church in America, I mean, my, my, my church body has been 98% white forever. And, uh, and they think that by shouting about it, that'll fix it now, which is kind of funny. Um, it's just, just not going to fix it. Uh, it. There's a problem there, evidently. Or 
or culture tends to be strong. That's probably more likely because my church body being 98% white is just like the mirror of all the well, 98% black church bodies that are out there. And you go find them. They're out there. We shouldn't be all mad about this. It's a reflection of the history in America. But my suggestion is that if you go back past the history in America, there is something more fundamental to Christianity than our ethnicity. In fact, go into all nations, baptizing them, right? Go to among, to all the ethne. And again, it's not a, there's this thing called an illegitimate totality transfer, which where you take like a, a root in a word like Greek, ethne, right? And, and you'd show that it's ethnic in English and you say, oh, it's the same word. Well, it's not exactly the same word, but kind of is the root of the word, right? And it's like where it comes from is where the idea like evolves from. So when Jesus says, go into all nations to these Jews, and the one guy named Paul, uh, a Jew, like does it a lot. And then, I mean, granted, it's, it's an urban and ethnically diverse place, but it kind of shows that it is possible for an idea to change a person straight up. Now, even, I mean, I'm, I'm just talking like secularly here, right? Like the idea that Jesus is Jesus changed Paul. And if you don't believe that, you're just you're just ignorant. That's that's not a faith claim. That's like like Caesar did stuff and George Washington and like Paul like killed Christians and then became one, right? And if you don't if you don't think that's real, then then you're just watching lots of TV and uh, you go you go hang out with Puff the Magic Dragon for a bit, all right? Uh, uh, but uh, Paul was changed by a man, yes, with words, yes, uh, that were an idea, yes, and, and those ideas had consequences, yes, and and, and pushed him to do that to others. And then this Christianity, this, this ideas about Jesus, this ideology that is not the idolatry of worshiping yourself and the world and your fear of the world, it radically changed people so that you did have diverse social groups if scattered across the area coming together. You do see the Jew-Gentile struggle and the, the New Testament's full of how difficult it is for ethnicities to come together. Because the Jew-Gentile struggle that goes on in, say, James's book, really, right? And Jude as well. You see it in Acts for sure, Galatians for sure, right? That's all about two ethnicities having to share. And I think, I think we maybe poo-poo. It's like, oh, and then the Jews went away. Well, I think they married in. <laughs> I think they married in is what happened, right? And so when you have ethnicities coming together, two generations later, yeah, the ethnicity is not there anymore because they're gone. They're both now each other, right? And this is the beautiful familial reality of the church Catholic that can happen. Uh, the modern age has made that, I think, more difficult. It's amplified our distinctions. So we are less likely to listen to someone who looks different to, than us now than before. Before, I think we were curious. I'm talking like before the modern world. There was, And as the modern world arises with pictures just kind of coming around, people are super curious about everything that's different. But now there's been so much. Everybody's so thrown off their game by the just white noise mass of new and novel and different that, well, curious doesn't even cut it, right? Curious means I don't even know if I'm a man or a woman anymore, right? That's not curious. That's confused. That's what that is, right? And it's just not knowing things. That's being unsure of what's in the mirror. I've shared this a few other places recently. I've had a, um, a, a revelation, I guess I should just say it, a revelation of the value of the mirror. Um, and why is this? Well, I find that eye to eye in the mirror, it's hard to lie to myself. Really, it is. I think I can do it, but I, but that's just because I'm a very deceptive person. So rooting out the lies actually is easier, though, in the mirror. That's the point. Like when, you, when you're like, have I been lying to myself about this for a while? Like a conversation in the, conversation in the mirror about that topic it'll it'll pull some 
frustration out, right? Some repentance, really, some repentance out. Um, the, the power of the mirror to show you what's actually there, like the fear is that it's going to be vanity, right? That you're going to like turn into this amazing person who wants to be just, oh, I'm so great and look at me and I'm so vain. And, oh, 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 but the thing is like, yeah, like, you can try that now. Like you have to put on all sorts of stuff to fake, right? Which is fine. I'm not a, I, my wife wears makeup. I really like it. She takes it off. I like it then too, right? So whatever. But like, if you're going to try to make the mirror look like the screen you're watching, you are in for one heck of a time. Really, a very difficult time you have ahead of you doing this. It will be painful. It will be uh, tedious. It will be thankless. Uh, and unless you're very, very lucky, you will not win uh, the lottery. And if you do, you will find it's not really much better uh, living with money and shame. So <laughs> you still have to deal with the, the fact that the mirror was given to you by God, created, I'm pretty sure, uh, this physics allows you to assess, are you lying to yourself? And lying to yourself about what you want from yourself. What do you expect from yourself? That's been my battle. My expectations are just touch high. Just just touch. Just touch. Just touch high. And, and but it's it's like the it's the it's the hate that I levy at myself because I fail to reach them. That the mirror has forced me to admit to myself and thank God in the mirror is this. Jesus is with me. And so when I find that now, whereas like as a young man, I probably needed this. When I find that now, I have a tool to put on it. A tool is a really crass way of saying it. I am baptized, right? I am washed. I am covered in the blood. I don't doubt that. Do you? You shouldn't. You shouldn't. It's been promised to you in manifold ways. It's to all nations to begin with. And if you, in fact, have been sealed with water, I don't see why you wouldn't believe what the Bible says about it, which is that it's like it seals you into Jesus. Like, okay, well, good. So you're in the blood. Walking around in the blood, trailing blood everywhere you go. Take that to the mirror with that conversation you didn't want to have on the other side. There's there's something about pain that the modern world is the hedonism in us, really. Uh, is, we've forgotten the value of pain. I, I've said this a couple times in Bible studies, and it always seems to get me in trouble because it, it's so easily misunderstood. But I'm pretty sure pain isn't going away in the life of the world to come. I'm pretty sure in the resurrection, there will be pain. And, and let me just start with saying that there was pain in the, in the Garden of Eden. And that's kind of my premise, right? That in the Garden of Eden, there was pain in childbearing. And I, I base that on the text that enhances the pain in childbearing. It does not say that it creates or, or anews or, or puts pain in childbearing. It merely enhances the pain in childbearing. Now, there's some science that kind of makes this fun, too, the parts of you that feel pain, like in your finger, right? Like the little things that are like, ouch, those are called nerves, right? And, and nerves, by and large, are also the way you feel pleasure. Now, the Buddhists figured this out, which is why they believe that the answer to not having suffering is to not have anything pleasurable, right? You got to get rid of like desire as well. Now, covetousness is certainly something to not deal with in, in general if you want to have a content life, but that doesn't mean pleasure is a problem. And, and, and pleasure is a gift and, and pain then is a gift. And this is one of the hardest ideas for Americans. Oh, dear heavens. <laughs> it's like, when I say this, I, 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 I've said this in, in times where the individual got so angry at me. And I'm just like, oh, I, I thought we were just having a conversation about like, like spiritual things, like, like pain. I'm trying to help, you know? <laughs> and they're so upset. I'm like, what? no, 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 no. I'm, I, I don't mean that like we aren't fallen and this world doesn't suck. Like I didn't say that, right? I just said that a Christian can believe that even all of that is still a gift no matter what. And then when you can see that it's part of your creative body falling apart, 
but also tying you to the suffering of Jesus nailed on the cross, which the Bible is very clear about, we are to expect, desire, long for. And then in those moments, see it as the moment to really grow our faith by going back to the food we know is going to feed us. Well, I mean, then pain's a little bit more of a thing you can handle, isn't it then? It's a framework. Goodness gracious, it's a program for your head. And the Bible's full of this. And we've spent a generation and a half stripping it out of everything in the symbols. So we get all these other symbols, all these other images again. That's where I started this morning. Images flickering, this, that. Who are you? What shall I be? What shall I do? What will I grow to be? Never his mind on where he was. What he was doing. Hmm. All movies are coming true in 2020 in my life. It's crazy. The words, the, the, the dialogue, it keeps returning. Hey, I'm going to take just a short break here. We're coming back with your questions. I got some really good ones from you this morning as well. We'll try to check out the, the commentary on the side and pull out some, 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 some stuff there. You're watching Saturday Morning Chill. This is Mad Christianity, and you don't want to be anywhere else. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I don't want to wait the whole three minutes. I want to get into this stuff. I had it here a moment ago. Let me find my grab bag back, and we will drop in the first one. Let's get a short one to start with here. Uh, that's not short. Let's do this one right here. Boom. Uh, let's see. What would you say? Uh oh, I just made my cool picture go away. We'll deal with that later. What would you say to someone voting Biden because they see race relationships as the biggest issue? I picked the shortest one. I thought, um, my first question is, were racial relationships a real issue? Negatively speaking before COVID, were you re-freaked out about that before COVID? Do you even remember? And were they really a really big issue before Obama entered the presidency? Have you looked? What are the policies that have caused the spike in ethnic troubles across the nation? You're sure you want Joe Biden's policies to continue? You sure you want Kamala Harris's California policies to continue? I mean, okay, if that's your logical conclusion. But then what I said when I got back from that most recently was like, I just can't take the hate anymore. I'm like, um, all right, you know. And then I don't have a conversation with you because you're not listening. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to something that doesn't make me frustrated with my countrymen for being led by the nose by a magic talking box that fed them cereal and cartoons when they were little. So now they trust it because it's king of everything and smartness and love and happy. And why does my life suck? I'm so discontent, but I'll keep watching anyway. I really enjoy, says Bruce, listening to your podcast. Good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I have noticed some Christians subscribing to conspiracy theories. Define thine term, my friend. We're going to get into this, and you're definitely getting into, like, the, the far end of it is, like, whoa, whoa, slow down, people. The, um, it's just too easy to say flat earth, but it kind of it kind of sums it up. Maybe they're right. I, I haven't walked around the whole thing of you, right? But, but like, really? Um, the thing is, before we go further, though, just realize that A Brief History of Power with Two White Guys is definitely conspiracy theory. Like, the whole thing, the whole podcast is about, there's a giant conspiracy theory. Here it goes. There is an arch demon who's running the whole planet to burn it. His plan to get us to burn ourselves into a crisp any way he can and to keep as many people from hearing about the resurrection of Jesus as possible before he does so, so that he can have as many go down with him in flames as he can. Think Denethor at the end of Lord of the Rings. Okay, that, that's kind of it, right? And I believe that that's happening right now in real time and space. And in Brief History of Power is me pursuing that belief and my actual theory, like Cthulhu-style old god, what the heck theory, uh, under, at this tutelage of one of the most intelligent and, and well-versed and well-read political theorists and, and uh, sociological historical uh, thinkers I've, I've ever seen, Dr. Kuntz. Uh, but we definitely are a conspiracy theory show because, I mean, at the beginning, we're like, hey, check it out. Did you know the conspiracy theory wasn't even in English as a phrase used? Like, you can't find it or read about it until after JFK gets killed? 
that kind of cuts it all real clean for me. Now, maybe you're too young, right? Maybe they got to you. Um, did you watch Kevin Costner's movie? It's way too long. It, it really probably doesn't answer any of the questions. I didn't watch it either because I didn't need to. I already knew like, oh, we're supposed to think he didn't get shot by us. But anybody who looks into it thinks he got shot by us and the FBI for stuff. Because Marilyn Monroe, that's why. It's because of blondes and stuff. It was about his character. So, when I learned from Dr. Koontz that, that conspiracy theory was a term invented after that, for that, to stop you from asking about that, I just kind of gave up on anyone who, who like says to me, that's a conspiracy theory. I'm like, oh, do you know what a mythology you are? You are just are hook, line, and sinker in right now. Like the FBI is your God, right? You don't even know it, right? They're your mouth. They're the priest of your God, right? They're, they're telling you what to say. So I just want to clear that up, right? Like I, I, I certainly think you do not want in any way to go into the corners of the internet where there are conspiracy theory stuff going on. You do not want that. I don't do that. What I do is I read the news and I think, and I read the Bible and I think, I talk to people I trust who know history and the past. What happened in the past? I think about the present based on what we see in the present because that's far better than going to some weird ducktail trail, ducktail, rabbit trail, trail, all the way down and through a million details, which might be true that show, in fact, in fact, you know, that, that uh, Donald Trump is Elvis and Tupac fused into one man, right? I mean, I, you just end up in, in insanity land. What I think is more valuable is to remember how the Bible gives you the real conspiracy and you can't really go too far off as long as you stick with what it says to do next. Whatever you think the problem is, like Tertullus about to rise out of the ocean. Okay, what do we should, what should we do? Let's see. Pray the Psalms, have the Lord's Supper together, talk about Jesus being king and risen from the dead. Got it, right? Like, and it's not supposed to be dumb. It's going to matter if you actually try it. I mean, that praying the Psalms thing, Sons of Solomon, it means you should really join it if you're a man and are tired of not being a man in the American world and you want to be a man of the ancient world and the modern world. Reject modernism and join the Christian reality. Yeah, uh, Sons of Solomon, we're there to make that happen for you. Uh, you can find links below. Talk to people in the, in, the, in the comments. It's just about praying the Psalms, carrying a Bible, carrying a prayer book, and a crucifix with you. Again, like I said, I mean, how many ethnicities really can't get together on that? Really? That's, that's, a, that's a cultural difference? Okay. It's <laughs> a lazy difference what that is. You know, what, how much can it really hurt, guys? Right? I mean, whoever wants to say no, or you guys do that, it won't work. Okay, really? It won't work because you won't do it. But if, you, if, if we got every Christian man in America to pray the same Psalms for a year, you think that would be bad for us as Christians? Like, I'm not saying it's going to unify our bodies into, like, these new mainline denominations, but do you, don't you think that'd be good for all the Christians? And every man, you're like, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Oh, man, did you pray that Psalm? Oh, of course I did. I mean, can't hurt, man. It can't hurt. So, Sons of Solomon, you got to check that out if you are a guy uh, and care at all about this planet and your Christianity. I'm just, just saying. So, it, conspiracy theory, definitely, definitely what Sons of Solomon is all about is the fact that the only answer to any conspiracy you come up with is that Jesus is risen and you are paid for and that he's coming again soon. And by standing upon these words, we can see clearly, more clearly than our countrymen, uh, what's really going on around us and maybe even do some good for them in the present sphere. So let's see what kind of actual present sphere question this really leads to. So uh, the kind of conspiracy theories I mean, there you go, are that Marxist, communist, Islamists, and even some people in the church are joining together to form a revived Roman Empire. Wow. And ultimately a one world government, of course. Of course, a one world government. Why wouldn't it be? Um, well, I, I think, I mean, doesn't every like hero story ever end with a one world government kind of right like is that kind of what we want in a weird way and yet and yet we don't certainly and i'm not sure we're ever going to see one not in the way that you're thinking um that's sort of a i would call like a, almost a christian myth 
or uh, a, a premillennial myth based on a misreading of the Bible, you're going to see rising powers that are reflections of ancient powers. If you think we're, if you think we compare with Assyria in terms of our like ability to dominate what is the known universe, um, we just aren't even close yet, right? It, they could put the UN together, and it's just, it's, and yeah, so it's the whole planet this time. All right, fine, yeah, you're, you're a big deal, really. Um, I don't think they can do it. It's too, it's too big. It's going to fracture. It already is fracturing. You can see it. Everything's falling apart. Uh, no one trusts each other. This is where the U.S. is kind of built to have something really good happen here, potentially. And this is my hope for Tuesday. I, I'm not a prophet. But that's what I'm praying for. Uh, we're built to have it where it gets this bad that Congress just gets wiped. You get like a whole third new Congress. Like every come is out, right? And and like it's all one side or the other. They're going to work together, basically. It doesn't have to be one party, but it has to be. It should be this time, honestly. But it doesn't have to be. If you're running against like if there's a, if there's a Republican that's been in the House of Representatives for 30 years. And you don't know him personally to be like authentically the guy. Like he's the man. He's been fighting hard. And man, he can keep going, man. Um, if that's not him and he's just like, oh, it's been tough. Yeah, well, I just didn't have it with it. Like that guy should be out too. <laughs> that guy should be out too. Congress is supposed to flip a lot. We should flip Congress regularly. We should honestly flip the Senate like more often than we do too. Like 12 years, you got plenty, man. Get out of Delaware. Oh, again, a brief history of power with two white guys. If you want to know about, more about Delaware, you got to watch that episode on YouTube. It didn't come out on Thursday, like the, uh, on the, on the audio though. You got to go to YouTube down below somewhere. You can see Goons and I went live to talk about the briefcase and the, uh, not briefcase, briefcase, laptop, two laptops now. And NBC news is finally covering it. Hmm. Could we bone all? I would have thought they'd wait a couple days. Hmm. My conspiracy meter went the other way this week, just so you know, but I still am pro-life, and so I'm going to stick with that. Let's go back to your question. Okay, so the idea that it's going to come together to form a Roman Empire one-world government, this thought floats around and has floated around conspiracy circles for a bit. And again, I think it comes out of a real misreading of the book of Revelation, where they think, the people who, who read this way, kind of can only conceive of the end of the world happening with a certain timeline of events that may or may not be what Revelation teaches. I don't think it is. And then in that, you have to have these like 10 becoming one somehow with like a three mixed in and one rising above the others and stuff. Very complicated. So you need, in order to have like countries stand in the place for this, like geopolitical countries, which again didn't exist when John wrote the book, um, in order to have these things kind of suddenly be what he's talking about, uh, you need a very fractured and close-knit space like Europe, right? And the UN is kind of tied to pulling the world into that. And then they want to believe it's all going to come together to form this giant head that has a big battle down in Jerusalem, like physically. Um, I'm not even saying none of that could happen. I mean, it really could happen. I I think it could happen and not be the fulfillment of prophecy, honestly, because I don't think that's what the prophecy is about. (laughs) I think the prophecy is about Jesus' return and how the church survives every era. And again, we're not going to go into Revelation right now. You can go search and you got my early stuff on it um, uh, down below somewhere. Uh, So, uh, so the idea that the Roman Empire is going to come back is a biblically misled idea. No one's really trying to be Rome, I don't think, except the Pope. Well, there's that. There's that. I don't know. I really don't. You think the Islamists going with the Pope? Hmm. That is like some deep stuff, right? Well, okay. So I'm just going to leave this where it is, though. I don't know. I don't think that's very likely at all. I think... I think Islamists want to do it themselves and communists want to do it themselves. And while they might ally in an attack, they'd fight each other as soon as it was over. And so 
yeah, someone can you can join things together to take out the U.S. and maybe China did just that. I don't blame them if they did. It's kind of what your enemy's supposed to do. So whatever. But the point really is okay. Let's say that you got this actual one world government, world empire, Roman persecution. Okay, they're going door to door knocking. Are you a Christian? What are, you, are you ready? What are you afraid? I mean, I, I'm going to vote against that. Okay, I'm on. I'm on board with that. Um, I'm going to see if my county is going to go with it before I just go along. <laughs> um, but I mean, are you really going to be facing that future as if it's not the most glorious way to die you ever heard of? And you should pursue it if that's what it is. You hear me? Now, I don't think that's what it is. I think there's something potentially like that in any given locality at any given time in, in, in life, in history. Like the, the, the real cataclysms are localized. They're not worldwide floods, right? They're, there's only one of those, right? Uh, and so my contention is that if you're going to wander into the fact versus fiction versus crazy X-file life of trying to figure out what's going on in deep state and big money world where they don't want you to know, you got to do it like really not caring what you find at all. Like, you know, you're going to find Chitulu. The devil's there at the bottom of the whole thing. And whenever you see his face, you're ready with some scripture. Like, is your, is your goal to get into this and like fix the government? Like, I would love to have the opportunity to talk about fixing the government with someone who could actually try to do it or even be that person. Whatever. I wouldn't. It would be a horrible job. But as a goal, as a life goal, like I want my neighborhood to be better. I want my neighbors to have a nice neighborhood. I want them to enjoy it. I want it to, to grow and thrive and flourish for generations to come. But if the world gives me Job's life instead, I'm going to endeavor to believe what Job learned at the end of it all at the start. Well, is this going to rock somehow if I just figure out how? Even a gory, bloody martyr's death in which you're torn limb for limb for three to four hours. God help us all. Thank you, Jesus. It's happened. And you'll see them. They're your brothers and sisters. So, I mean, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, right? So, for example, there's a man in Tennessee who suggested that COVID-19 is a method of disguising mass population control. You think? I mean, I don't think, no, if it's a method, they're doing it. They're using it for that. Never let a good crisis go to waste is good advice, actually. And when evil men use it, it does evil things because it works. Uh, and so, yeah, it doesn't matter whether it was intended or not. It certainly is happening. Um, population control and the vaccine may ultimately constitute a mark of the beast. Well, of course, this is all biblical conspiracy. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to divide what I said earlier about conspiracy theory. Where's my, where, where, okay. I want to do this. Look, anything. Oh, look at, I'm even like being in Illuminati right now. Look at me. I'm Illuminati eyeball. Anything that is Christian conspiracy theory is wrong. <laughs> like whatever's going on right now, the Bible is not talking about it in the way that people who are making noise about Christian, about conspiracy theories. No, they're just so off. Their timeline is so off on the end of the world. They can't see clearly. I don't know what's going on. They're still probably all watching TV at home too. It's just, anyway. So, so the more you see like Mark of the Beast and this kind of language in a conspiracy theory website, the more I would flee it. I would just be like, they don't know what they're talking about and it's guaranteed. Because if they did know what they were talking about, they wouldn't be talking about this. <laughs> they wouldn't. They would never put this on their website. So um, uh, so you really want to see the distinction between, again, 
I can't pronounce his name, Alexander Sovacheski, I think that's it, something like that, Russian philosopher who wrote about communism destroying his country as it happened and, and then wrote at the end, like, well, this is how it happened. And you can, you can like read it and then like look at America in the last 20 years, like, wow, like you don't have to go mark of the beast for that. Right. So, so I think maybe your best rule of thumb for conspiracy theory is how many steps away from my reality did they get in three sentences, <laughs> you know, and are there, are there ties to reality that get us there? And the moment they're dropping biblical language, they're hiding what they, any, any attempt to really need to defend their position. You should be able to defend any actual goings on that are a real conspiracy out there or conspiracy, just liars being liars. You should be able to expose that without referring to the Bible for like to prove it. Like it's natural law. It's obvious it's in front of you. They, they lied. They cheated. I mean, if you put stuff on a laptop, leave it at a place, a guy looks at it eventually. And you wrote a bunch of stuff about things you did with your dad that were illegal all over the world. Well, eventually it might just get read, right? It's, it's just kind of the way things, things happen. Things work. So when you start venturing into supernatural style theories about people abusing power, AAK conspiracy theories, um, you've jumped the shark immediately. The Bible's not given to us to be able to perceive the narrow inner workings of a particular conspiracy. It's given to us to know how to live the same under all of them and how to never be deceived by any of them into losing who we are and what we believe. So, uh, this other guy is still convinced that a direct attack on America is coming soon. You know, I found a tweet, a tweeter that I thought was interesting. And then the more I read this tweeter, guy, girl, I can't tell. Um, the more I was like, ah, mm, mm, crazy, I smell crazy. But, <laughs> uh, but this person also was convinced that it's all going to turn into like a, a Chinese, like literally Chinese land war attack. Like next week, which is just like Fallout 4. And so... Again, it's like all there, right? And yet, is it all there or is it just all there that we're imagining that it's there? Oh, did I just do like a Janus thing? I did. Is it all there or is it all there? I don't, I don't really know. If it's all, it's all there. I can't tell who it is. Jesus is there. He's risen from the dead. And whatever happened, you're going to rise in him. So believe what he says. Plant your food. Eat it. Grow it. Eat it. Buy it. Whatever. Get your food. Eat it. Have your kids. Raise them. Get them married. Do your best in the chaos. Don't pretend that men with guns won't shoot you and stand in front of them and say, ha ha. Right? That's foolish. But defend your communities if you need to. But do do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not believe you're going to make a paradise on this planet. You don't believe this American, what, century? <laughs> uh, it's going to be a millennium. Don't believe this American enterprise is anything other than an American enterprise. And it will only go so far as the money goes. And when your family or your community isn't like part of that anymore or isn't part of that at all, can't get to the first world, then you're just normal. Right? And those of us who have a little more, well, what should we do? Wait, you know Schindler's List, by the way? I mean, this is such a biblical idea. It's, it's sad to me that like Steven Spielberg, a Jew, has to write a story about Jews doing what Christians should think is amazing. It's beautiful that the Bible teaches this kind of charity so much that men who don't believe in their own Lord would actually act on it. Schindler's List. The guy's a Nazi. He's an actual bona fide Nazi. He stays one all the way through to the very end. You know what he does? He uses every single bit of his wealth, making ammunition, by the way, every single bit of his wealth. He spends all of it. He's bankrupt when the war is over to buy Jews as workers. He goes to jail. I don't, I don't remember how the story is. He's supposed to like go to jail. In the movie, it's like he goes to jail at the end. He's arrested. He's a war criminal. Save so many lives. That's it. Find your that.
Use your earthly treasure to... uh, It's not about saving people like you're God. It's about seeing other people like you have a God. If you're not faithful with earthly things. Right? So, I mean... You got to know that there are liars lying and they're using power and there's money and there's quibono crazy going on everywhere. You can't not know that. And that's not a conspiracy theory. That's what the Bible says always. Now, the conspiracy theories you want to be careful about are how narrow do you get in any of this and how tied up are you in believing you have to fix it? Like, if Prince John, the phony king of England, is in fact the phony king of England and everyone knows it and the sheriff of Nottingham's a really bad guy and everyone knows it and they're coming around taking our taxes and everyone knows it. Well, you're either going to be the guy who pays the taxes or you're going to be Robin Hood. I mean, okay. So you're going to pick. Right now, I mean, Robin Hood doesn't work that way. Like, don't go shoot people with arrows and try to steal money. That's, that's not the point. But you, you either have to wake up and say, look, we're going to live under this lie. There's a fabricated lie. We all believe it, but the only thing that really is keeping us chained is not good and evil. It's not the actual king. He's not the king. You know, Prince John's not the king. He's lying. Eh? And so, Robin Hood, you know, so stop lying, people. And what happens? You know, truth prevails. Truth prevails. So, so the reason to be concerned about the way liars create conspiracies for themselves, whether they rise or fall, big or large, have lots of money worldwide, or just in your neighborhood, the reason to be concerned is because... Um, <clears throat> You want to live in a world where you don't live by lies, right? You want to live in a world where the truth unleashes you. Bruce goes on, I'm aware that socialism is growing in power. Yeah, for sure. We are like a half socialist country, it would seem. If you believe the polls in the media and what they've been telling us is real for 20 years, I'm just not sure we all were drinking the Kool-Aid as much as everyone thinks, but we'll know on Tuesday. I really do think we'll know. Uh, if you do not see any shifting in Congress going on, then yep, we are definitely drinking the Kool-Aid. And you know, if we see a red wave in Congress, that I don't care about Trump. I do, but I don't care for this. We need a red wave in Congress. If we see that, if we see lots of actual local new congressmen who are red coming up, then I don't think that socialism is as big as the story of socialism has led us to think that it is, which is how they do it. And that would make sense if they're just overplaying their hand because a couple guys got a little hungry for laptops again. Um, I mean, what was on the laptops really? And it is kind of, oops. Yeah. So it would not be a funny and quirky thing to be sure. We cannot deny the idea of socialism is allowed to be talked about as a a realistic, like beneficial potential future for our country. Right. And, and that betrays the moment you're talking that way, you betray such an ignorance of the past, such a, I don't live in reality, such I grew up, I'm a snowflake who grew up in Cinderella land and I want to make it real now. Like that we don't have to listen to you. If you, if you say those kinds of things, like we need to just tell you, go to school. Here's a book, read, we'll talk, we'll talk. I'm just not going to listen. <laughs> right. Until you've read. So you can say something that's more than just, well, we never tried it yet. Well, <laughs> So, but the fact is, socialism has jumped in its acceptability as a cool thing to say. It's like being gay, honestly. At this point, at this point, if you come out gay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, we're just done lying. If you come out gay, you're not brave. I'm sorry. You're not brave at all. What you're doing probably is faking it to get some fame and status because you aren't cool enough on your own. And lots of you are doing that. You know what it's doing? It's ruining your life. That's what it's doing. It's making you hate yourself even more because you don't even know who you are now and you let everybody else tell you who you are. Stop letting everybody else tell you who you are. Take a look in the mirror. You'll know what you are. It's pretty clear. And then figure that out. What does it mean that I'm this? That I was made this primally? You know, don't have to believe in my God. From the gods, I was birthed as this. Well, I'm going to try to be a dog. What? What are you doing? Man, you watch too much TV again. Uh, like, unplug it. Pull, pull the thing out of your head. 
right? Like, like fast from sugar for three hours or something. And like, you might have a vision. You might, you might have a revelation. Not, not like from God. Just like, whoa, wait a minute. That was a whole sentence that just went through my head. Whoa, it worked. Oh my goodness. Right? And so I'm not talking to you, Bruce. I'm talking to the world that is so convoluted and so confused that it really, well, then when someone says socialism means being nice to each other and everyone having stuff, they're like, oh, okay, sounds nice. I'll do that. Okay, we should, let's go kill people who don't do that. Right? And then you see that in Oregon right now and Seattle and other places. And if you are following Annie Go, by the way, and you, you think what I just said was made up, go on Twitter, follow Annie Go, and you will see the mugshots of the people who are being arrested by cops who aren't allowed to arrest people. Like, these are the worst. Like, these are the ones that are really, really past the, the you know, shining lasers in people's eyes and stuff, right? Um, and you will see them, and they are not happy people. Dear heavens. Dear heavens. Um, <clears throat> they're lied to people. That's what they are. Socialism is growing in power. Christians in America will experience more persecution. Potentially. Eh, they might leave us alone. Who knows? I mean, it, the thing is, if you're quiet in a corner, even if you're loud in a corner, as long as you're not in their face... There's so much going on. I mean, they want certain things on like a global level and they want certain things when they can benefit from it. But honestly, this is again, Kuntz is like one of his main points uh, in in A Brief History of Power's storyline so far is that the best place to be is where it's already fallen apart. They don't care. They can't make money on that. So Rockford, Illinois, by the way, is definitely falling apart. I live in a third world country. It's great. It's really not that bad. I remember Mexico and I liked Mexico. And now that I'm realizing this is just going to be Mexico in 30 years, it's awesome. It's awesome. I got to learn Spanish though. But, but the point is, you can build. You can build. Because the federalities come around in Mexico. You know what they do? They say, oh, oh, oh. You're not allowed to build there. Oh, how much am I not allowed to build there? Oh, $100. Oh, okay. See, that's how Illinois already kind of works. <laughs> and you know, it's just going to get more and more of that. In that way, you know, the places that have been abandoned, the places that are forgotten, if you are thinking about building a life, build them there. Build them there. Uh, especially if you want to have a family. If you want to, if you want to have a, a generational dynasty that endures based on ideas, like faith, like religion, right? Um, get away from the mind meld a little bit. I mean, I live on the edge of a city. I still use it. You know, I just don't want to let it like run me. Um, and and if you can't do that and you're where you are then you're like most of us in one sense because as much as I can say I think I'm in a good spot like I was called here I have no choice I can't leave I mean Illinois could get so bad like my entire congregation moves just because of the taxes like they all retire out retire out retire out right and then oh here I am and I own property (laughs) right so I mean it it could go both ways but the point is to share Kunta's insight which is that the safest place to be is where there's no value if you're really concerned about conspiracy theory and building for your family, right? If you're concerned about deep state powers, America as a trans, who knows what agenda from old bank money that broke off of uh, England and now is trying to create a hegemony across the planet, but it's running into other bankers from places like China, right? Um, Who cares again? Sink your roots in where you are. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to give you faith to die a good death if that were ever to come to your door and then do good to those who are good around you without forgetting to pray. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them away without forgetting that the point of laws is to stop evil. Let me suggest that correctional facilities are probably the problem. 
because we call them correctional facilities rather than punishment facilities. I'm not saying we should punish them more once they get there, like beat them or something. We actually should really try to uh, turn them into competent people of society. However, the thing is, there are people who don't want to be that. And that's the trick. And, and then they get with putting with the ones who do want to be that and, and or want to get out. And it causes all sorts of problems. But if you go in with this idea that the point of, of law is, is correcting the lawbreaker, uh, you're kind of missing the point of kingdom, really. Uh, the, the point of law is to stop it. That's it. I mean, you just stop it. So, you know, trying to deal with the lawbreaker afterwards, well, that's a different thing. But we've kind of convoluted making the lawbreakers into good people with stopping it for a long time. And that, that I would suggest, is a first principle reality that makes it very difficult to police these days. Because you're just not allowed to believe there's a bad guy out there. There's no such thing. Right? He's running at you with a knife on PCP, screaming, going to jump at you. Oh, crap. He's black. I have to let him kill me. Because what? <laughs> right? It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, it's because we have turned the bad guys into the good guys by believing that there are no bad guys. And that's just not true. It's not true. All right. There's probably enough on this. Um, unnecessary levels of fear. Yeah, his speculation. Right. So that's why you stay away from these guys. So, you know, this guy who's saying all this stuff. What did he make you do? He made you like, oh, I got to go. I got to go. I got to get ready. Now, I hope as you're listening to me this morning, you're largely getting like the, oh, I don't really care. Like, like that really should be our result. I mean, we care. We care about our neighbors a lot, but not in a way which makes us afraid of men. And if I catch myself being afraid of men, I want to catch myself in that thought. I say, hey, John- Jonathan, let's go talk in the mirror again. Are you afraid of men now? What have you been drinking? <laughs> nah, this is coffee. Uh, you know, but, but really... And it happens all the time, right? I'm not great at this. I'm not great at this, but I do believe firmly that we're allowed to do this, that we're supposed to do this, that he has redeemed our mouths so that, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil for he is with us and his rod and his staff, the pain of our lives, have become a comfort to us so that we can see how he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies on which our cup is overflowing. It is therefore asserting that the goodness and mercy steadfast loving kindness and faithfulness are going to follow us all the days of our life simply because we dwell in the body of Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. So there's a one world government and they want to sacrifice a pig on the Jewish altar, but the pig is like, I don't know, some half human crazy thing from an alien movie. And then, you know, the, the Pope's going to be, I, 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 the Lord is my shepherd. Like that's crazy. Look at all the crazy going on in the world as that happens right before they kill us. Okay. Like, we always knew it was evil. Or, or did you? Hmm. How should we best respond to these? Um, oh, hold on, hold on. Uh, yeah. Uh, instead of giving us Christ and his... Yeah. The question is, again, you know, so I come across a conspiracy theory. I see Christians believe in it. Now what do I do? Right? And this is a conspiracy theory that is, is bunk- Let's call them a biblical. I come across a biblical mythology masquerading as a conspiracy theory. Hmm. What do you do with it? Well, you pray. You don't fix it online because you can't. Uh, you try to talk to people who are locally near you about the things you learn that are good, that are different than the things that they're teaching that are bad. And believe in the power of proximity. Believe in the power of proximity. All right, Bruce. Thank you very much. Uh, Let's go to... Oh, I like this one. This one's good. Monica says this I am a Lutheran music teacher currently teaching at a Roman Catholic elementary school where part of my job involves pray- playing the music for the school masses twice a week 
Cool. I have noticed that during the communion, when the priest speaks the words of institution, he says, this is my body, which will be given up for you. Is there a reason why they use will instead of is? The priest emphasizes this word, which makes me think there is something doctrinally important to them, the, to them in the use of it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so I am curious if you know what the original Greek says there and what the difference is. Many things, Monica. So absolutely. I, I looked at the original Greek just for you this morning. I was going to try something and now I got distracted by trying it. Yeah, I looked at the original Greek just this morning to reconfirm what I was pretty confident I would find. But I can tell you without any question that it is the most ising is that there ever was. There's no wases or will be's in this is. It's the most ising ising ever, right? It is so is you can't even make it even a little bit not is. It's like they really wanted you to think it meant is. <laughs> and because again, remember, you don't even have to put is in the sentence in Greek. They inserted this in Greek. If he spoke in Aramaic in the upper room or something like that, right? If you're going to make that argument. So this is, is so is. So why would the Roman Catholic priest say will be? Um, now I, I have to plead a slight amount of ignorance here, but I'm pretty sure I can smell this one out and maybe the comments can fix it for me if I'm wrong. Uh, so I'm going to start with what I know for sure. Right. And then before I go into what I think, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. So what I know for sure is that the mass in the Roman Catholic church is a representation of a non-bloody sacrifice before the father and that the priest in the fulfillment of the office of St. Peter, the Pope, who is the true vicar of Christ on earth, who alone speaks for God at that moment is symbolically, no, actually the Pope, Peter, the Peter who ascended to heaven in the Pope through this priest actually present somehow sacramentally, mysteriously, sacerdotally is really the word, and he is going to sacrifice Jesus again. Breaks it. And now the mass has power because that act of new sacrifice the priest does is the righteousness, the merit by which you may go try to earn your salvation by being good. That's the Roman Catholic Church, and that's why we don't like it as, as Lutherans. Like, like, like that, that whole thing right there, right? Now, is that why he says will be? I don't know, but I would hunker down and say that's probably why he says will be, right? So again, that's my opinion, that will be, the language you're noticing, is tied directly to the sacrifice of the Mass, which Dr. Luther in the Small Called article says the only thing they actually don't want to agree with us about. And everything else is because they want to protect the sacrifice of the mass. It is the abomination of desolation in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, it, as as far as such things go. Yeah, um, does that mean everyone who's there is therefore not a Christian? Nope, it doesn't. And that's where the theology of the end times is very interesting, and not nearly so much as you would assume it to be, with your sinful and fallen flesh that makes all sorts of assumptions that are not what God says, because His ways are not your ways, your ways are not His way, all that kind of stuff. Right? You with me? Let's go on. Let's go on to another question before we all lose our our complete brains, our complete brains. Here's a big one coming. Ah, uh, Bobo, hold on. Let's get rid of Monica first. My mouse is battery is dying. Come here, mouse. Come here. I should have replaced that yesterday when I noticed that. Hopefully it'll make it through the show. Brian says, I hope to start a chapter of Sons of Solomon at my church. I've been carrying a Bible and a hymnal at least in car in my car. That's great. I have found it's tough with the hymnal especially. Um, and I even have the pocket one. Like the one book into the second book gets tougher to carry everywhere. And so we may adjust that one. Um, I'm trying to be like as diligent as I can. Like if I'm suggesting it, I'm doing it. Um, and then I'm finding, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I fail too at this. Sometimes I forgot something. Like last night I ran out of the house. I did not have my hymnal with me. Right? I just had my Bible. My wife and I are going out for errands. I've already gone back in the house twice, once for glasses, once for keys. It's like, oh, we're going. Yeah. And, um, and, it, and at that point, I got to say, it's important we recognize, you know, I'm going to say, don't be a Pharisee. I mean, the Bible would say don't be a Jew, but that would be misunderstood these days. 
because it's not really about race or ethnicity or anything like that. It's about the way you would perceive the new the, the New Testament gospel in the Old Testament uh, bags. Um, you would perceive it as a thing where if you don't do enough of the little stuff, you're not going to be counted, right? It's a legalism there, right? And so the goal of Sons of Solomon doing these things is not that you would do it so it works. And if you don't do it just right, it won't work, right? That's that's Pharisaism at its key, right? What St. John in his gospel calls the Jews. Um, now, again, don't take that and apply that to anything but St. John's gospel. <laughs> yeah, that'll be, you'll be misunderstood. Um, uh, so, uh, but the idea, again, of carrying these symbols with you, this is really what this is about, is carrying symbols, right? having something on you that is a, a focus, um, a representation, and even a channel of your faith. Because, I mean, the Bible is not going to channel magic to you, but you open it and you read it, and there the Holy Spirit is coming to engage you, right? So it's there as a symbol of that by being the tool for that. The crucifix is there as a you know, symbol of your baptism. I put mine on every morning during the Nicene Creed with, and I believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, right? Um, this comes on, and that way all day long, it's like when I see us, that's right. He's with me. He's with me. He's with me. I can know this, right? Um, so it's all about symbols and trying to build Christian symbols into our life in an ecumenical way. That is a way that any Christian anywhere can just start because again, we're so divided. Like, like we, we should be able to like say a couple things together. Right? So that's great. Um, you know, your question is how about portals of prayer for a pocket sized prayer book? So yeah, here's the thing about that prayer book and, and where I'm leaning in my own like practice of it right now is I try to, I want to make use of it. And I wasn't using the hymnal as much as I do in another part of my day where if I leave it over there, it gets used. So I'm like, oh, it's probably better not to carry it then. Right. So what should I carry so I can continue having a prayer book for Sons of Solomon? And I, I realized that prayer can be understood in a couple of different ways. So let me just say, if, if portals of prayer then is something which is going to help you engage the text of the Bible, then yeah, that counts. And you could even do that with a book that is a, a contemplative book on, um, maybe even not by a Christian per se, like the book you're carrying, provided you're recognizing that you're engaging it in order to do battle afterwards by means of prayer. Right. So you, you, what you want is a, a whetstone for your head that pushes you into prayer. That's what you want. Uh, you already have it in the Psalms, but now you have, to, you have to learn how to get out of the Psalms, out of the Bible's talk, and take the Bible's talk with you into some other language, some other talk. And the prayer book should be one which inspires that. Um, but frankly, anytime you would engage after reading the Bible, after your devotional time, with other thoughts, provided you're trying, you know you're entering into like the matrix now. I'm going into the evil world. I'm going into where they don't have my assumptions. That's good. You come out of that and you pray, right? So I don't think that's quite right for the official Sons of Solomon position. But my point here again is that Sons of Solomon isn't here to be legalistic. We're not here to say, well, if you don't do it just the way we said so, right? <laughs> the whole point is to get it to be as simplified as possible so no one can really be justified in saying no. Like if you'd say no, you're just being a jerk. <laughs> like you just don't care about the future. Like, I mean, and that's not quite true. I mean, it's not, but, but it kind of is a little bit, right? It's just really a simple thing that can bind us. And as I pointed out earlier, really can't, un, can't do bad. How, how bad is it going to be if we're all praying the Psalms in Jesus name? I mean, really, how, how much damage can it do? So uh, finding that symbol that helps you also pray from the Bible into the history of the church and the battle of the day that you're in right now. That's what that other book is about, right? Um, and so portals of prayer is fine. If that works for you, I'll tell you from my money, that's cotton candy. That's just cotton candy. But if for you, it's not, then it's not. Because frankly, I've done a lot of study and you probably haven't done what I did, right? So maybe it's right where you need to be. Uh, so it's not as simple as there's only this and there's only that. 
with the Bible, it gets a little more like that, right? And with the Psalms, we're going to pray together. It's very like that. Get as tight in as you can. But as you, as you spread out and start to then think about, you know, we're moving from, I'm baptizing the Christ, I'm reading his word, I'm praying about life with his word into, I'm talking about Jesus, right? And this book, the second book space, is really there for that. And I think we're going to call it a prayer book no matter what. But the point is, you can pray after reading anything. That's pretty easy to <laughs> say that way. You can pray after reading anything. Um, but you certainly don't want to like only rely on like bad prayer books too, right? So um, you definitely want to keep a good dose of healthy reading coming with your Bible. Uh, let's see. I think I got one more official. My mouse is so going to go. I'm going to have to take a break and go get a, go get a uh, batteries here. Sip some coffee. Brian Wolfmiller. Oh, no. What did you miss, Brian? You missed Kathy's question that just popped up. Oh, oh, oh. There's Brian. Good to see you, Brian. Um, this one's going to be a bit long, and I can't even entirely see it here. C- Kathy says this. I have wanted to say you are dead on fighting to restore the function of the sexes within the family and the church. The two are related. Yes. I did not grow up LCMS. I see little things like women proudly, right word, reading the scriptures publicly. In itself, it is not bad because it is not actually teaching, but it does say something. Okay, so you're talking about lay readers, right? When women read the scriptures in public for the congregation, uh, you're saying it's not, you said it's um, it's not bad because it's not teaching, but it does say something. Well, I think that's actually the most important thing you just said. We'll come back to this then, right? It's not bad, but it says something bad. That's interesting. How we've, have we talked ourselves into this way of thinking? Well, it's not, it's not wrong, just not right well what what world do you live in like like no that means it's wrong (laughs) it's actually wrong there's something very wrong about it and and i'm gonna push on this so hard now and i I, honestly this in our day and age it might get me killed but men aren't women at all and women you've been like managing the church for 100 years you don't know it because it's because we're cowards we haven't told you that's what we're doing that's just what's been happening we've been letting you and your concerns which are valuable and good override what we see and tell ourselves lies and happy stories to try to make you happy. I think this is wide, wide reality. And it lends up with things like we're all going to let, <laughs> I remember this one so hard. It was like, there was a church I went to, uh, in, in, uh, I was at the seminary because they signed you there and they like kind of semi ordained their lay readers. It is, you know, they didn't ordain them to the ministry, but they, they laid hands on them. They put stoles on them. Um, so it was, it was an interesting thing. And in the first day they did this, I remember the two people who were made and, and one of them was a sweet lady. I'm sure she was very kind and really cared well about everything. I pray I would get to rejoice with her in paradise. And this has nothing to do with her personal faith. Um, I don't know. It's hard to know anything like that. But what I know is that this little lady, um, not only was a lady then who was going to read, but she, she really couldn't speak English. I mean, and I'm not, I'm, I'm very sensitive to that. I try really hard to defend people who speak English uh, in a different way than I do. Um, I sat at the feet of a uh, Indian Islamic Shakespearean professor who got just trashed by the white liberal women in the hallway after class because they couldn't understand him. And he was a genius and you could understand him if you tried. And uh, I'm just going to say that the, um, the lady that morning could not be understood. And there's a certain thing in which is like, you can say it wasn't sinful. Like, like no one should take pitchforks to that place. But the path they're on is not wise. No, it's not. Not even a little wise. It's very unwise. It is folly. And to have lay women reading in the congregation is to walk on that path. 
very carefully, kind of confident it can't hurt you. We'll just we'll take a couple steps, promise. It won't, it won't be wide and narrow and slippery. No, it won't be. So, so that's the problem you're picking up on there. And that's where, I mean, you can't start this conversation without really going all the way. And I'm going to say it in two different ways. First off, you want to get mad at me? Go ahead. Second off, <laughs> uh, go read Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. It has nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with my religion, nothing to do with my, my philosophy, really. It just talks about how men and women speak different languages. Like, actually, like you speak English as a woman, I speak English as a man, but it's man English versus woman English. And we all know this. And the book actually details like how this happens. Well, okay, if you can admit that then, then really there's a difference between a man, woman, and a woman, a man talking and a woman talking. Always. Unless they learn to like speak woman or speak man, which may be what's going on in the crazy. Hmm? But, but uh, if you want a group of men to gather, you cannot have a woman leading them. It just doesn't work. Huh? Eventually, a man's going to lead. You know, what about Joan of Arc? Are you telling me she was by herself? Like no men around her at all. It was all women the whole time. A woman can be a symbol. A woman is a symbol, a living one of Christ's birth. But that said, men and women are so different and we need to start believing it because if we'll stop listening to everybody else and just poke our head out a bit, we'll find out we've been doing a lot of damage to each other by the way that we don't believe it, by the way we try to act contrary to nature the way the world is telling us to act. And I'm not backing off on this because um, it's true. <laughs> uh, and I'm just... I don't know. I've been talking about man and woman relations and, and the distinction since what? 2000, 99, 2000, 2000. When I met my to be wife and she pointed out that I was an idiot for not believing the Bible. Um, not quite like that, but it, it, it amounted to that. Um, and I, I was like, Oh, you're right. Men and women are different a little bit. Uh, like from there on, even as I started saying that to people, like it's always been railroading after it. it's like, as soon as you pipe up someone, some, some white male who's old pipes up. Or some lady pipes up. And, and when they pipe up, it's never like to engage what I actually said, which is very interesting. It's never about how what the Bible says should be concerning or important or we should wrestle with these things. It's usually a dismissive thing. And it attacks something that I didn't say. It attacks a straw man. Right? Well, but you can't say that all this, that, this. Wait, I, did, I didn't say that. <laughs> you know? um, so if those are your assumptions, those are your assumptions. Uh, so... Yes. Pushing on this idea. It's not as though a woman who gets up and does a lay reading in, in, the, in the, the service is like, you know, the devil incarnate and, and the world is about to end. And oh, goodness, how can God ever forgive us? No. It's not even something that's really wrong by itself. It's the fruit of a really unhealthy plant. But if you go at it, if you try to just change women lay readers... All you end up doing is cut off the branches. You don't, cut, you don't even get near the root. It's not, it's not the thing. It's not the problem. The root is that we don't think men and women are different species. That the word equal for man and woman has been misapplied to such an extent that we don't even believe there's such a thing as like diversity between individual people <laughs> anymore, right? Like, like really, we're like all equal. Like everything has to be the same all the time. The socialism, right? Uh, instead of Instead of believing that the diversity that God created is meant to be embraced and that the, the, what he, uh, when we engage each other as different from each other and learn from each other as he designed us to do, man and woman's two languages become 
a family. <laughs> they become a tribe. And they become a form of respect and understanding that can't be there if you think you're speaking the same language. It can't. You won't be able to see it. You'll keep trying, guys, you're going to keep trying to talk her into it like she's a guy. And girls, you're going to keep trying to talk him into it like, like he's a girl. And it's not that you can't have these kinds of talk them into it conversations. Oh, <laughs> see what I did there? Talk them into it by Jonathan Fisk. You should buy it. It's really good. Um, it's not that you can't have those kinds of conversations with a boy or a girl if you're the opposite sex. You'll be better at it if you can acknowledge you're speaking different languages and see how. It's not, I mean, if I say different languages, that gets too big, right? That's just too big. Like it makes it sound huge, but it is. It's like cosmically by. <laughs> So it is big, but it's, it's more like a flavor, right? It's like the emotion language in the language. So when you're talking, actually, that was kind of the, one of the chapters I wanted to share with you guys from Talk Them Into It. Um, so maybe we should just do that one today anyway. Um, it, it, how you say and what you say are one, but not the same. People hear what you say by means of how you say it. This is why you're more likely to buy a tool from a nice salesman. The delivery of words and meaning are one and the same in how we experience them, but in practice and learning, they are two completely different things. Many smart people are complete idiots, and even fools are thought wise if they learn to hold their tongues. The father's duty to his family is to learn first what to teach with knowledge, and second, how to speak with wisdom. The Christian's duty to his God is to learn first what to tell the world that you believe, and second, how not to be an arse about it. What you say and how you say it matter a lot, and women say it differently than men. Always, always. And that linguistic, cosmic bi-reality um, is good. It's good. And I, I am contending that it's been swept under the carpet by the white noise. And if you smelled that and you're and like this lady here, Kathy, you're like, oh, yeah, I felt this for a while. Then, yeah, then hold on tight. The world's about to keep going the other way to some extent. Then again, maybe, maybe natural law is about to come back. Yeah. Maybe there's a lot more of us out here who have not drunk the Kool-Aid than you think. So um, keep believing that the next generation of men are ready to be men and pray for them, right? Ladies, uh, the Daughters of Wisdom is your option. If you want to be connected to the Sons of Solomon, we don't have an actual organization for you, but we do have some prayers for you to pray for us. How good is it when brothers dwell together in unity? What if all the ladies of the church, the churches, the Catholic Christian church throughout the world prayed for the Christian brotherhood to dwell in unity? together every day for a year you think it would hurt you think it would make it worse i don't that's the idea it's really not that bad of an idea if i don't say so myself um okay so back back to kathy kathy's got a long story here so i went to a church which didn't even have women's suffrage Uh, it was lcms Uh, women could express their opinion but could not vote that's interesting i would rather let you vote and not express your opinion and it shows you where the real power is by the way um (laughs) because as soon as you're like that's not fair yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the vote doesn't matter. The vote's a gimmick, right? It's who speaks that matters. Um, uh, they, I think, made decisions and the women did what women do best and took uh, looked to each other and the people of the congregation. Well, that's good then. Um, so I, why do I say that there's something to be seen wrong even in this? What's really the problem is when men don't have a place where they're allowed to go be men. That's really the problem. And if you can believe that there was a time when church council kind of was that and then it got taken away right so what do you got left well bowling you know sports and that's what the men got involved in and like why aren't the men involved in church i know let's put more women on the church council let's get women speaking in front of the church let's get the youth doing this stuff you're on the same path you stepped off onto before right and you just haven't turned around um if you don't let the men be men then they will go find somewhere else to be men 
And the sad thing is, it doesn't speak very well of their Christianity that they let all the women take over so that they would leave. <laughs> like, right? Like, or they were just content to realize, and this is certainly the case, that in some ways you can make uh, a finer living this way. It's a lot easier to itch ears uh, this way in a matrilineal society. If you, if you want to learn more about matrilinealism, by the way, there is an article coming out this Monday in Mad Christian Mondays, the e-magazine that comes out for free to your newsletter, data diving for Jesus into all the white noise to pull out, pull, pull out not only a couple of quirky, weird things, but the stuff that really matters about what your vote, no matter what side you're voting for, uh, your life and your family, no matter whether you're in a patriarchy, a matriarchy, or a matrilineal Society like our own, well, there'll be information for you on Mad Monday. So go to redfist.com, click on newsletter, and sign up so you don't miss out on this stuff because it's great, great content, all of it. And while we're on that reality and you're over there on the website, remember, you can always send a question to the show via redfist.com slash contact. Pop it right in there. You do have to click a little button that says you allow me to use it on the show because, frankly, um, you shouldn't be sending me stuff that you won't allow me to use on the show. You don't know me. Why would you give me... Why would I answer your question privately? It's a strange thing. You should ask me to ask, answer it publicly or you should go to talk to your pastor. It's kind of the way it goes. Uh, so... That's the point of that. Uh, but you can ask questions. We need your questions. Uh, if you can try to summarize your questions in less than... A, I mean, God bless you, Kathy. It's a lot. It's a lot, isn't it? Um, I just... I worry about, about the details and then my answer is getting too sucked up in the details. And so, you know, you lose what I could really help you with. Um, so, you know, you were, when you went there, this place where they took care of each other in the congregation, it was a very dark place for you. Okay. My husband had just gone into the nursing home. Ah, that's rough. I didn't know if I would ever be out. Uh, when he was moved, uh, where, when he was moved to a facility where I could live with him, I got anxious about putting myself back under his authority and what it looked like when he was not what he had been when we were first married. Another woman there who had been a disabled husband gave me good advice as well as a picture of how this looked biblically. That's great. Uh, it has worked out very well. The men got trucks together and actually moved me. Now you're kind of jumping back to the congregation a little bit. So in the congregation, the men get stuff done. That's what they do, right? And the women like to sit around and talk. That's what they do. And when you make them do stuff together, you have long council meetings that don't get much done because the women sit around and talk and the men want to get stuff done, but the women talk about how it could go wrong and then nothing gets done. And I'm not saying this is every woman. I'm just saying this is like the cosmic reality of our history as a species and we don't have to be idiots. <laughs> you know, it's just, there's a function of, of flaw that is inbuilt that we can observe over time. And if, if we just get over our pride, we get, eh, wave a rainbow flag. If you have to just get over our pride and we could live at peace. Uh, with each other at least, right? So so it sounds like though, um, okay, so you were concerned about moving back into like an assisted care facility with your husband who had not been your head for a while. You'd been visiting him in, in the facility and now you move back in and you're going to live with him and you're like, what does this look? I've got some independence I got used to. What's it look like? And then the other lady there gave you good advice. I don't know what that was, but I'm going to tell you that First Peter 3 is great advice at this point. Uh, Sarah, like Sarah, who called him master. I know, I know, you want to erase it, right? That's because you're an egalitarian. It's because you believe what the world says. It's because the Bible can't be right when it says that, right? So, hmm. But frankly, if you're in that position that you're in with an old man who is in trial, aging, now maybe it's, he's not really struggling, but he's like not what he was. Uh, maybe his mind changes a little bit. I don't know. It happens. Um, is it really that bad to be a servant? I mean, I waited tables. And people yell at you. Yeah, it happens. You go home. You know, it's it, your job when you say I do is not to get your best life forever here. Your job is to say to each other, all right, 
One of us is going to have to bury the other one. We're going to do it. <laughs> yeah? I mean, it's, it's, it's just a different thing. And then in that, yeah, the guy's going to be the guy. And the girl's going to be the girl. And if you try to fight that, you just create a lot more chaos. If you can embrace it, you can learn the Bible says it's good if you do it right. When we were looking for a church, Kathy says, we tried several in the city. In one, the president of the congregation was a woman. Again, not the cause of the problem. It shows the problem has gotten much, much worse. But the problem is not the fruit. It's the root. So you try to talk about having a men's group just for men in that congregation. See how it goes. See how it goes. Um, <laughs> you'll have voices against it for sure. Uh, in one, the president of the congregation was uh, the church was a huge chaotic mess. Well, that can be the case for a lot of different reasons. I don't think that's because the women are incapable. No, they're not. And this is kind of important too. Women are completely capable of doing almost anything except for leading men. I mean, uh, by and large. And, and they, I, sh- I gotta be careful here because the military does have women lead men, but how? Because of a structure, because of a very clear structure in which they are not treated like women. And they have to learn they don't get to talk like women when they're in the middle. I mean, really, right? I mean, call me out on this if I'm wrong, ladies. I don't want to make it sound like you can't actually run a platoon because you can. Because that's the point she's making. At a certain point, it's not about whether you actually have the flesh, but it is about the language. It is about understanding who we are. And, well, if you... <laughs> well, the implications of that for women in combat are interesting, are they not? So uh, chase that if you have to. I'm not saying anybody's got to change where they are right now. I'm saying you got to realize that we're different. That's it. That's it. And if you don't, well, then you can't complain about what's going on because it's all built on us believing we're the same. And if we realize we were different like every other civilization ever, um, we could at least talk to each other again, I think. We're not even talking. We're just screaming, right? So, <laughs> so going on, back to Kathy again. Uh, to the extent you try to push against the biblical pattern and take little bits of power for yourself that you should not have, the less you can expect the Lord to make it all work well. That's exactly right. Although it's not exactly right because sometimes he makes it all work really well to punish you. (laughs) And and then, because he really wants to punish someone else, he's going to look at it and be like, oh, they're doing it right. They must be doing something right. That must be from God. Like he's punishing that person too. (laughs) Uh, And let those who turn straight of their crooked ways be led away with the workers of iniquity, I believe is how the Psalter says it. And, Again, I don't want to laugh at it like, 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 ha ha. It's really sad. It's terrifying. Yeah, I'm not going to back off on the scriptures saying, so be it. What of that and what of that? Um, and that's, again, our weakness here as men having been feminized. We can't say what of that. We have to, like, worry about it. We have to care as much as the women do about everything. And the fact is you can't rule if you care that much. So uh, speak up, women who lead platoons again. Don't you have to kind of, like, not care about certain things? Just stop caring about stuff because you have to deal with what really matters. Right? You can't let your emotions get in the way. Oh, I feel bad about this person. Well, too bad. We got to live. <laughs> yeah, And that's man and woman. And women are naturally made one way and men are naturally made the other way. And obviously you can form them and program them and drug them up into all sorts of whatever you want because we're pretty malleable little sponges. But if you leave us alone in the woods, of course, Lord of the Flies is a reality too. My husband is now uh, fighting an aggressive cancer. God bless you both. Uh, it will be for your faith. Uh, we are in a church with a good, faithful pastor, a standard-type congregation with lots of connections going back generations, which can be good and bad in different ways. Um, I have repeatedly tried to get my husband on the prayer list, and it just hasn't happened. 
I don't know why, and I can't speak to that, but I, I, I'm not a fan of those lists. I never have been. And I've spoken about it publicly. I know it upsets everybody, including people who I love very much. But honestly, we treat that list like it's a magic bullet, and you really shouldn't. I mean, just go to church and pray for your husband, for pity's sakes. I mean, pray for your husband right now. I, I, see, I just prayed for his faith, not for his getting better. So, so that's the challenge, right? Um, is, is when you start praying for what you really need, you start to realize that the, the fix is maybe not the right prayer. And the problem with the prayer list of churches, it's all basically make us better now so we can get back to ignoring you, God, right? I mean, that, that's kind of what that prayer list is. It, it, and it's a lukewarm way to approach devotion and prayer. All entirely so. And also is sacerdotal in the sense it seems to think the pastor's prayers are more efficacious than your own, which is nonsense. Now it's true. A righteous man's prayer availeth much. Well, are you not a Christian? I mean, if you're not a Christian, you're not a righteous man. If you are a Christian, you're a righteous son of God. And so your prayer will availeth much. Does that mean it's going to give you your best life now? No, he doesn't want you to go to hell. And so he may not give you a fix to the cancer. He might just give you a way to believe in Christianity all the way into your husband's grave for his sake. Because that's what he needed as a gift, a good death that you can support him in. Women, you want to know the difference between men and you. Men want, real men want a good death. They don't want to not die. The idea that men in our country right now want to not die shows you what cowards we have become and frankly how effete we are. Because the definition of a man is that he doesn't want to not die. He wants to die well. Ladies, you don't want to die because you got kids to take care of. And frankly, the man doesn't want to die for that reason too. He's not going to shy back because he knows sometimes the only way for the kids to get taken care of is for him to go die. Women have more trouble with that. They can't do it too. Not as instinctively, right? It's not like just gut reaction kind of, get the guns, right? Not as much. So, and if you want to bark at me, bark at me. Of course there's diversity. And of course women are completely capable intellectually. They're more than capable emotionally to be communicators and understanders, healers. But only when you can acknowledge that we're different. If you cannot... It turns into evil. And we're watching it right now. All over. Hmm. However, when I try... Kathy's going to finish up. However, when I try to post something on Facebook, I get all sorts of response from people in the other church. If my husband loses the battle, I am moving to be near that church. Well, I can totally understand wanting to be near people who care for your faith. Um, I'm only going to contend that your husband will not lose the battle. The battle's already won. Uh, if he goes to be with his Lord in the great rest that is precious in the eyes of the king who calls him home temporarily until the final home, of course. Uh, I'm not telling you don't mourn. I'm not telling you have a birthday party afterwards where you pretend like it's all happy. That's that's bunk. Right? I'm not telling you that. Um, I'm telling you go into it like you know what it's about. Like if this isn't going to take me out, something going to, right? So I want to take this one in. Like I'm going to go at it. Like I might not come out. And if I do, it's just another gift, right? And so you can't lose the battle of cancer. That's the story of the world. Notice it? Notice it. Why do you say it that way? Because the world told you to. It's not like you're, you're bad for that. It's just the way it works. The more noise comes in, the more it forms how you think. So if you want to think differently, you need different noise going in. Hey, read the Bible, write it down. <laughs> it's not that hard to know the difference for the antidote, right? But really it is. No one's doing it. It's very difficult to do. Why is that? Why is that? Because we're all drugged up. That's why. Um, ba 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 here, here's mine to yours. As an aside, I'll go, I'll, I'll just do this one for a second. I did have a very interesting conversation about the drug coffee this week. I've talked about this before and people don't like this idea, but if it alters your mind's chemistry, then it's a drug and you should own that and realize that not all drugs are the same. Some are very dangerous. Some are less dangerous 
Coffee is medium dangerous. Sugar is very dangerous. So you go ahead and do your own research on that one. But um, I realized, like, I th- people always talk about coffee like it's like wake-up juice, right? Like, it's, it's, you drink it because you, it makes you not tired. And that's such nonsense. It does not make me not tired. <laughs> and now, you know, post-APAP machine life, I'm less tired than I was. But I'm still just like most people in your 40s. You know, you, you get tired at the end of the day. Oh, wow. I feel like I used to. And I could go and go and go, right? Yeah. But I don't drink coffee to, like, get, like, on a basketball court, right? The thing about coffee, why it's a, a good drug... Is because uh, it stimulates the mind to a very kind of subtle and clear path of thought, provided you're not chugging it. If you chug it, you are in trouble. <laughs> if you if you drink too much caffeine uh, really fast, you're going to end up in this place. And you don't want to be there, right? I'm not talking about that. I've had this cup since like 7 a.m. I don't know if you can see. But it is. It's like... Why I drink it is I just love something in the brain. It's it's a chemical. It's great. Let's go back and say goodbye to Kathy here. So Kathy, um, you're going to move to be near the church again. Remember, remember, it's not people. Listen carefully too. I mean, I'm sure both these churches sound like they're preaching Jesus, right? Um, but one of the way the devil will deceive us is he will have the Christian church be overrun by people who act rude and only a few real Christians there, but they're really there. And then a church that says it's Christian and seems really nice, but they don't ever talk about Jesus at all. There's lots of people there and you want to be there. That's not an unused ploy in the history of his work. So just as you're searching for churches, as you're searching for truth, remember he is risen. You are paid for. You cannot die now and he will not be long. It's before there. He will not be long anyway. The water seals it. The food feeds it. This is Christianity. You should seriously think about joining us. Um, Thank you, Kathy, for that question. I think that brings us to the place where we've gone through all that you guys sent in this week. We had a little bit of a slow week. Where did I put that button? Should be right here. I'm still learning my new thing. Um, so I'm going to go over to the side comments here a bit. We've got solid half an hour left. Um, I did some, I did, that, I did that, I did a lot of this stuff. So we will just jump right to Natalie. You threw this one down here. Hey, Pastor Fisk, being wife of a Marine vet. Yeah, um, sorry. I, I read that as like a Marine who operates on animals, which I bet there are. There's got to be like veterinarians in the Marines, right? Um, and uh, so what do you, what do they call <laughs> a Marine vet, right? Like, Hmm. Or then I thought it was like maybe a doctor for your Marine. Um, but you know, humor aside, and Natalie says, uh, being the wife of a veteran Marine, uh, we have had many conversations about women in the military. Can we serve? Absolutely. And in leadership on combat roles? No, for a number of reasons. She's got another comment to come with this one here. Uh, and it boils down to men and their internal drive to protect women. Yeah, right. Uh, sounds so old fashioned, but I've come to appreciate it in his role as my husband and the Christ-like way he lies down her life for her role. That's what the Ephesians says. That's very good. So like that means that if you're out in a platoon of however many, 10 guys and a girl, 10 guys and three girls, seven girls and three girls, right? What's going to happen is the guys are going to instinctively act differently to protect the girls, no matter what you do. And you can't train them out of it. In fact, the better soldiers they are, the more they're going to do it. And if you then do that, you make the mission in jeopardy. If the goal is to achieve the mission, the goal cannot be diversity in the team just for diversity's sake. You need the right players on the court, right? And again, eh, <laughs> I mean, try this sometime with high school basketball. You could probably get away with one girl playing high school basketball. If she's really good, she'd probably do it, right? She'd probably do it. Uh, but in general, just let them all try out. You're going to have mostly guys playing. You let all the guys play girls basketball dressed up like girls. You're going to have all guys playing, playing there too. And, and ignoring that, I don't know. Ignoring that's a story. Ignoring that's a story that we've been listening to. 
And again, you don't have to go as far as I've done. I, I, matrix, like the, the things in your head, right? I yanked that thing out. I yanked that thing out. I'm not going back. I'm not going to listen to these stories anymore. I'm going to listen to what the scriptures say. Because it is just, it is too easy for these machines, these flashing boxes and these talking moving heads and these pictures and this music and they put it all together and they make this magic thing. <gasps> it's so beautiful. And like, like your brain gets changed. You sit there for hours and hours and hours. I'm talking to me and my past. I'm not going back to you. Hours and hours and hours. <sighs> your brain being formed by not your God, by another God, usually. Not by you. So you're no independent thinker. You're a mush mouth repeater of stories. I'm done with those stories. There's one story. It's the greatest story ever told. <laughs> uh, but that's not really the point. It's the one story that's actually real. And I'm going to do everything I can to veer all my, like, what conspiracy theory challenges my own life struggle with what I see before me and the pain, the, the, um, the confusion, the building and having it fall down, the putting the effort into it and never having it come to pass the feeling betrayed by all the lies. I'm going to let it all resolve into the fact that those who trust in Jesus Christ are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And as Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains, so Jesus Christ surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. And that the scepter of wickedness will not long be allowed to rest on the land allotted to the justified, because God wants to save you. He does not want the justified to reach out his hand into iniquity. Shalom al Israel. Peace be to Israel. We can walk through anything. It is al Hallow's Eve. It is Halloween, the pagan crazy version. It is Reformation Day. It is a second blue moon. A crazy weird, no, a second. Is a second full moon a blue moon? Crazy weird one because it's also got some sort of red Mars blood moon thing going. Is it blood moon? Red Mars going on. Like the, the, the planets are aligned. It's all going to happen now. The Antichrist is about to be revealed. Uh, so what? What are you going to do on Sunday? I'm going to church. And... I'm going to preach on 1 John 3. It's the appointed text for all saints. I'm going to focus on what it means to be Agnes. Uh, to be good, pious, sanctified. It's a weird word. Uh, not used a lot, but John makes some hay of it there. What it means to be a son of God who has Agnes, who has piety, who has devotion, who has the fear of the Lord and not the kind that makes you want to run away. <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah. Nah, nah. Own it, own it, own it. Be who you are. Believe what you know you believe for all it's worth. Put your money and your life on it. Stop letting them tell you that the video games are real. What if there is a retired Marine veteran who helps with sea animals? A Marine Marine vet vet. Thank you, Brian, for saving my complete catastrophe of a joke. Uh, uh, Darian says, uh, Ref Fisk, I'm in the military. My commander is a woman and we're both the same rank. She has told me several times that she and I could both say the exact same thing and people will take it differently. Yeah. That's the point. And frankly, knowing it makes it more capable to deal with it, right? So like if you have to be a woman who leads, like pretending that it's not different is going to make it worse, <laughs> right? So if, the more you own it, that's right. I, I, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear this because when I said before, it's like, you know, maybe the vets will get or the, the, you know, the military personnel will be mad at what I'm saying, but you know, you have to live with it, right? And so you see it every day. Um, you can't live in a pretend world where the stories are just stories. Of course, sometimes the stories about the enemy may be, right? And that's, that's not for you to question at that point, I suppose. Um, so do, 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 uh, let's see. We have again, half an hour. Mm, I think I'm not sure. I'm gonna take like a one minute break and come back and we will, we will just, we will just go 
into whatever you throw into the comments between now and then. Where's my one minute one? Right there. Someone asked the question right away, like, uh, Agnes, Agnes, right? So the thing is, um, we're going to try to work on it a little bit here. And I'm going to practice basically my sermon work for this evening and this weekend. And so if you want to see what I'm looking at, go to uh, 1 John 3 in your English Bible. I'm not going to put it on the screen this morning. That would just take time to try to figure that out. But um, 1 John 3. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I gotta get there too. And verse three is, and all the having of the hope, this one in him, that's Jesus, uh, agnidze, uh, yalton, uh, they, Agnes themselves, uh, just as he, Agnes, is. Estin, same word for the, this is my body, this is my blood. Um, so that, that there, that word that gets into the English or into the Greek twice, and usually comes into the English, I think, as pure, right? Pure or purifies. The trick is the English pure just really doesn't have any of the connotations that that word has. And it's a strange word. It's low value, meaning that it doesn't get used much ever. Old New, Old Testament, uh, Septuagint, it's like 12 times. It's not cultic in any way, shape, or form. So you have a word that we translate as pure, that has nothing to do with cultic, that is, Old Testament, Israel, sacrificial things. To me, that seems like a confusion right off the bat that we would pick pure for both of those terms and then just do it, right? It's not that word at all. So it's not cultic. It shows up in the New Testament rarely, only a couple times, not cultic. I looked up most of them, and most of them have to do with lists of Christian behavior in some way. And in those cases, it tends to be this, like the, one of the figurehead words for what we're supposed to be as Christians, Agnes. Uh, and wouldn't you know, it especially shows up in 1 Peter 3 and is it Titus 5.22, both which happen to be lists about womanhood. So there's something particularly feminine about Agnes, and yet it is not only feminine. Uh, it shows up in other lists as well. So... I'm looking through the notes real fast here to try to say what to share with you um, uh, the most about it. But what I, uh, I need to read through this stuff later that the trick with it is then again, so it's not cultic. So when it says pure in first John three, uh, it cannot be about some sort of complete removal of the leaven from your soul. You're not going to purify yourself as he is pure in some sort of um, leaven removal way. Rather, uh, this word has to do with, Again, um, avoiding the off-limit stuff. But that's, that's a negative, you know, uh, t- the taboo. It's the opposite of the word taboo. So you have taboo and you have then Agnes is the opposite of that word. Um, and so, hold on, let me make sure I get this right. Right. So like dikaios, which is a word for good, means to, to do something righteous, to, to add on more good to what was already there. That's dikaios. Agnes is not that. It's to be righteous by removing the unrighteousness. Right? So it's, it, it gets rid of the bad, and then that's better. That's Agnes. And that's what we're to pursue. Right? Uh, pursue Agnes. Um, let's see here. It comes from, let's see here. 
Yeah, yeah. It comes from an older word, uh, odzomai, which is a verbal adjective. It's like old Greek. And originally this word meant the avenging gods awakening awe, right? So like Agnes is what happens when like Zeus throws lightning bolts at your face. That's Agnes right? um, originally. Now it doesn't mean that anymore. It really kind of uh, dwindles down quite a bit and, and softens by the time it gets to the New Testament usage. Um, but again, you see it showing up as a summary word. Uh, let's see, I got, I got enlightenment here uh, from James three seventeen to 18. So it shows up in James three seventeen to 18. Um, connected to uh, anothen from above, uh, sophia, wisdom, and uh, proton, proton, like like prototypical, the first things, right? So from above, wisdom before all things is Agnes. And then you have a whole list of, you know, of peace, of clemency, of good persuasion. And that's, that's Paul's whole list. Excuse me, James 3? Yeah. Where is this? I think it's James 3. Um, so anyway, again, I didn't get back to these notes soon enough yet. Philippians four is there as well. Where does it show up? You have, um, truth, seminality, justification, and then Agnes followed by, uh, to be toward love, to be euphemistic, uh, to be exceptionally dutiful and to be from above. There's that, uh, but it's different. Those epinos, not, uh, not that other, uh, Athenon from earlier. So if you were into Greek and you picked up on any of that, uh, yeah, Agnes, it's a little used, undug in word and yet it seems to be at the heart of what it means to experience Christianity as the removal the day by day mortification of your wickedness which exposes a righteousness of faith that remains and uh, John John says anyone who hopes in Jesus has this like the moment you hope in Jesus you have it that's good news isn't it that was a lot of work for that little payoff at the end but I think it paid off didn't it now yeah okay so um, there you go. First John three and Agnes in response to that. I feel bad. I feel like I should have more to say because the world's going to end. Let's see here. Uh, what else should we worry about? Oh, uh, this is fun. Has anybody seen Blade Runner? 2049. I think 2049 was a better movie. Maybe not as groundbreaking. One of the things I remember from both of those movies is the the character who has invented a, uh, a type of AI who is so mind-bogglingly wealthy that his corporation is effectively a country. But not, I mean, they still live in countries and stuff, but the corporation just does what it wants. That sounds familiar, right? Um, and um, Dystopic Future, written as a book originally, way back. Um, the That particular character... Uh, I didn't ever put this together as something I had ever thought to see before, but he looks a lot like in both movies, although he's a younger version. He looks like, uh, now I'm going to lose his name, Hugh, uh, Hugh Humphreys? Um, golly, the Spruce Goose, the guy who built the Spruce Goose. Super wealthy guy, ends up going into isolation, really weird looking by the time he's done. So, you know, that all convoluted, you know, the Blade Runner him when I saw a picture yesterday of him in his age crazy and remembering, you know, the crazy psychos guy who's trying to like get rid of humanity in Blade Runner. And, um, and then I saw a picture of Jack from Twitter, the guy who runs Twitter, Jack Dorsey. And, and it's like, holy moly, it's actually even closer. It really looks like the guy from Blade Runner. I mean, 2020, it's all coming together. If you did not watch Jack Dorsey, uh, get, uh, give witness to, uh, the Senate in a virtual hearing, you can do it pretty easily by just Googling it. Uh, or YouTube searching it. It's available. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz did the 
um, the questioning. And I have to say, after watching it, I'm, I'm deeply disturbed on two levels. I like Senator Cruz a lot. I think he's good. I really want him to stay where he is. And I think he just got completely trashed. I think he got destroyed in that. He, he looked like an idiot. And it's because Dorsey had no fear whatsoever. Dorsey displayed complete awareness that you can't touch him. And that, when, when someone can do that to a senator, scares the crap out of me, honestly. You know, you want to be scared about something. And you look at the change in that man as well from his, his youth to now. You look at what Twitter is doing unquestionably. And Cruz is like railing about it. He's like, you're doing this. You're doing this. And he just denies it because he can. And uh, when you look at that, it seems that there's a trajectory Twitter has, which really doesn't care about what happens with this election. Other than that, it just wants to make sure it does what it wants. And uh, if you haven't, read Blade Runner or seen the movies or pondered that kind of world, you still think we're living in the 1950s. Um, God bless you. You don't have to look outside, but don't yell at those of us on the ground who are trying to stop the, uh, the real crazy from setting in. Cause it's slavery. I mean, my kids said it kind of well the other day, like slavery, you can live as a slave. It sucks. But in a lot of the world before American slavery, it wasn't quite always as bad um it could be just like working for a corporation that owns everything you have right i mean but lets you use all of it right like being a monk uh, I, I mean he's in life in that but what disturbs me most about how slavery can be practiced or does get practiced in history is the dividing of families that is native to it right and so and especially when a king knows he wants to destroy a religion <laughs> yeah um that that bothers me right uh and yet uh, we, on the other hand, should continue to remember. Like, so here's here's another dystopic nightmare. So Jack Dorsey of Twitter is so confident. I'm, I'm making this up, right? But he's so confident that he has his own version of algorithm tied in so that he can buck anybody with whatever cabal he's working with on a global tech takeover and just going to do it. And they'll do it wherever they want. If they got to use China, they got to use Russia. They don't care because they don't care because they're about companies, not about nations. Um, and if that's the case and that happens and we all end up kind of these, uh, you know, sweatshop slaves like these companies run in China, uh, we, we end up just like that, uh, as a group. So, so what, again, do you know your creed? Can you say it out loud? Do you, do you pray the Lord's prayer? Do you live your life by the 10 commandments? Do you say them out loud? Do you try to teach others to do likewise your family? I mean, those are the things that matter the day they take everything away. How much of your religion you got inside of you? those are the things that matter. They take everything away. So I don't know. Dorsey freaked me out just because I feel bad for the dude. Again, he just looks so cold, so cold. And he was so prepped. I mean, he did not care. He had, he had answers. He had laws. He had copyright violation type legal nonsense, right? Well, you signed an agreement. And so Cruz is shouting about how unfair it is, but actually Dorsey's got copyright law on his side. You sign an agreement and, and you know it's all our platform. And so we can do what we want. It's not really an open space. And there you go. And Chris is like, but it's acting like an open space. It's, it's going to mess with the election. And Dorsey says, no, it's not. <laughs> right? And he's more confident. Just, again, it shows you uh, either, well, again, 
I don't know what's going to happen Tuesday. Neither do you. And why do we care? That's my point. Tuesday night, what you should care about is that we're going to be watching it all and preaching Jesus to you. And not just me, like lots of people, Hans Feeney, Brian Wolfmuller, Mark Hemingway, not a pastor, but I'm sure he'll confess the Christ at some point. Uh, you got, you got, Koontz is going to be with us. It's not going to be all at once. It'll be in and out as many as we can from 6 to 10 p.m. Central Time right here on YouTube.com slash J. You got the Mad Christian Election Special. And if you don't think that it's valuable to listen to a bunch of nerd slash invest slash really caring about the future uh, slash gospel preaching generally uh, lady and pastors talking about what's going on in their world well then that's fine don't tune in <laughs> like who cares I, like it's so funny the status games that we play uh, with each other uh, like uh, my point in doing this just for the record here right is like I really don't want to sit there all night and have to just listen to Crowder or Shapiro or anybody I really don't I'd rather talk to my friends who are good theologians. And so basically every time we look at the bad news or the good news, we're going to get to the better news because we're going to put it in the, in the category of this is a secondary game this Tuesday. It's a secondary game to the real one. The real one's a kingdom and it's already here and the battle is not lost and it cannot be. You just aren't fighting because you don't think you are on the team. I don't know. So that's the point. That's the point. Let's get together and like, uh, not take, the world as seriously as the world takes itself, even while we engage in our civic duty for all that it is worth. All right. It's going to be lit, says Baron Albatross. <laughs> I sure hope so. I sure hope so. I think it's just going to be casual and fun, and that's the point. We can do it now. Uh, oh, Brian Flammy is going to be on. I'm going to try to poke him to talk about some like big tech crackdown stuff that he has uh, you know, insight into. But the, the thing is, too, you got to be careful with this, and I'm gonna, I'll say it right now. Look, I am not responsible for whatever goes on in that show neither are you. <laughs> we are going to be humans having conversation, which means sometimes people say things that are incorrect. And hopefully we will then console and counsel each other with that. But like, like if you're going to watch this show to get mad at us, cause we believe we live in a country where our opinion is asked for, cause we have the right to speak. And like, you're like, oh, pastors shouldn't do that. Well then just don't watch, you know, really. I mean, what do you go watch someone else where you let, let Crowder tell you what to think again. Um, if, if that's your, your cup of tea. Um, so do, 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 do. I think I want to give you 10 more minutes, but I don't have questions to easily draw to. What could I look at that makes me have words of smartness to say for you? Uh, topic. I need a topic, friends. I need a topic. We are going to consider nothing. Oh, what about this? Oh, this might work. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. If I did... Nope, that's not it. This? What happened? Did it work? It worked. It kind of worked. Okay, but I'm not really where I want to be. There we go. A little more. Talk them into it. For y'all, we want to get up to where we have not gone yet. I read the one that was further ahead earlier, but this would be the one that we haven't done yet. And actually, it's this one. All right. So, and this one's pretty important. Page, page 21. The spirit and body of man are indistinguishable. The spirit and body of man are indistinguishable. This is not to say that you do not have a soul, whatever that means. It's certainly not to say you don't have a body or you're not your body, whatever that means. The point is that you cannot see them separate or experience them separately from me. It is well, it is well with my soul means it is well, it is well with my body or it doesn't mean anything at all. Even if your body's dying of cancer, it's still well with your body to hear about Jesus. And, and you cannot separate these things. 
This is where talk of having, say, like a, a spiritual board of directors and a, a, a civic board of directors at your church is, is folly. Like, you think the bathroom has nothing to do with church, do you? Okay. I mean, it does, especially when you, when you let it become matrilineal and all the stuff in it scares the men away because it says, don't pipe up here. You won't be allowed to. Um, and it, 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 if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're not going to by me explaining it. And if you do, well, then you do. Uh, so all talk of the soul apart from the body is Marxist gibberish or Grecian if you prefer a more Republican antagonist. So it is that like... This idea that my soul is separate from my body and my body is just this husk. This is Gnosticism. This is a, an ancient, basically pagan belief that we're all pieces of God that actually got stuck inside of a dirt ball. And now we got to get back out. And it's just not what the Bible teaches. It is not. Your mind, your emotions, and the chemistry of there, that is your mind, your emotions, and chemistry, that's you. Your physical design are a glorious singularity. Your mind, your emotions, and all that goes on between your head and your gut and your arms and your breath, it's all one thing. That's you. You're not You're not, not any of that. Let's see. Your breath is like your breath. Like for a moment, the oxygen and, and carbon dioxide exchange, it's, it's all you. The oxygen's going in, becoming part of you. The carbon was you. It's coming out. Right? It's you. Um so you're just, you're, just, you're just singularity. You are not divisible. When your body bleeds, it's your spirit that hurts. When your spirit grieves, it's your body that feels it. Buddha says you are nothing and the universe is one and all. That's his answer to that. Christ says the Almighty made you out of the universe, combined you with living breath by God's spirit, but not without you also being of the earth. See, Buddha says you're not really here at the end of the day. Uh, Jesus says, you are both created here and are made of here and are always to be here. Now, where this really hits the road is that you pray with your body or you will not pray with your mind. Which is why sitting in pews with their feet up, reading a book has really butchered our prayer life. Right? Um, You pray with your body or you will not pray with your mind. You confess with your mouth or you will not believe it is so. And it's not about me forcing you to say it out loud. Either you're going to say it out loud because you think it's so or you're not going to think it's so especially if others keep telling you the opposite. Nah. But tying in here, I mean, the real thing I want you to pull out of this chapter in the book is that um, you're a whole person. And the way that you feel, the way that you see, the way that you move, it is impacted by what you believe. This is not to say that your faith can make you walk when, you, when you're unable to walk. Then Jesus was able to do that. The apostles could do that. But the way you think about that experience, and therefore the way you experience that experience, well, well, that is indistinguishable from your body and your mind being one. You can't pull them apart. The thoughts are part of the story that is the flesh. And the battle against the flesh in its sin is then the battle to recapture the body as an avenue of the spirit who loves and speaks of Christ. Saint sinner war within you. It's not like it's, it's, a, it's a half and half, right? It's, a, it's an always churning mystery. But I think by losing an understanding of the body as we have in the West, where we've Gnosticized and believe you, you might be born with those packages, but they don't really count, right? Like the physicality just isn't real to us. For, we went from physical as all there is to the physical isn't even here. <laughs> really fast. One generation again. Uh, that lie, I contend, is, uh, is tied into the man-woman stuff we were talking about earlier. That a man is his body and a woman is her body. And that's why we're different. Because the bodies have different chemical things going on, different hormonal systems. I mean, it's all sorts of stuff. It's like to say that it's the same is, is not scientific. That's for sure. But of course, science is just industrialized knowledge now, right? So science doesn't mean what's true. Science means, science means what we are able to profit on by you believing. 
That's what science means now. Uh, it's sad. I don't want to say that. Science was a good thing once. Um, industrialized knowledge is what it's become. And what you want is to get back to actual, uh, what, Aristotelian cause and effect thinking. And then you can apply that to physical things and you have what used to be called the natural sciences. Um, so you confess with your mouth and you do not believe it at all. By, by, by stepping into forcing yourself to speak out loud about Jesus, even to yourself in the mirror, what this is guaranteed to do, hold on, get out of this here. Nope, that didn't work. This way? <laughs> I'm going to lose it because I don't have a button for this. Oh, it would have been like this. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, I did this. I do this. There it went. Um, I'm not going to be able to finish that thought, unfortunately, due to that clerical error. But what I can say is that when you pray, you need to breathe. And that's part of your voice. Your body, therefore, is always tied to your prayers. And especially prayer together. But if you're not praying out loud where you are by yourself, I would contend you're missing part of the Spirit's work because the Spirit wants you to hear what you say. And in that way, God speaks to you through you. And it recycles. And you can know it's true as long as you're saying what the Bible surely says, right? If you're going off into myths, you're in real trouble then. You know, the Proverbs say, don't stick your own head because it'll kill you. But reprogram your own head with what the scripture says and say it, say it, say it, say it over and over again. And eventually this is what you believe. And if you believe it, well, then you should do it a little more. Why would you stop? Drive. It, was, it, it sounds like I'm, I'm an anthropological, you know, works righteousness guy here. But I'm, I'm telling you, this is not that. The spirit does this. We can't make this happen. But nature shows you very, very clearly that like a thought, in your head is an electrical channel that runs through the neurons. And the more you have the same thought, the bigger the wave channel gets. So it begins to be used by like other thoughts, right? It becomes like a superhighway. So if your superhighway has been built out of America's great, it's going to last forever. Well, like right now you're having a lot of trouble having thoughts because everything runs through that superhighway, right? So have a different superhighway. Like those who trust in Jesus Christ are like Mount Zion, which can never be moved. Build it. And the only way you build it is by saying it over and over and over again until it's the loudest thing in your head. And then it impacts everything else you do. I mean, that's just science. And it's applying science to my religion, like Daniel of old. It's, it's not like it's that radical to see that the created order was built for us to use good and well. Uh, so Brian Wolfmuller is here this morning hanging out. I really appreciate it, Brian. Look forward to talking with you on uh, on uh, Tuesday evening. He, she throws out a super chat here. How about this topic? On Reformation Day, we want to be able to admit that Martin Luther is my hero, but I also want to remember that he is only a man. Help sanctify my pride. Also plug the Everbook. Absolutely. So Everbook got released officially. The real uh, branded, like literally, uh, book exists. Brian, I, if you can throw a, a link in the um, comments without a super chat, I'll drop it underneath the super chat here for you. Um, and it came out, I've gotten mine, Brian. I, I don't know how to tell you. I've, I love it so much. I've begun leather work. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> um, and in your, yours, uh, your, your inspiration with this book and the way to catalog and capture your notes and your leaflets. It started me on a journey that's led me into smart noting the way I do. And so thank you so much for that. And people, if you haven't checked out Everbook and uh, the videos we've done on how to just do some basic management within a couple of flaps of leather uh, and some basic paper, uh, it sure beats the white noise, no matter what you're doing. And Brian and I are absolutely on this target. Like you got to get out of the electric and into the analog some, you must. And Everbook's a great way to do that. So back on like your pride and Martin Luther. So I did one of those sermons you're not supposed to do last week where I apologized for the Reformation. But I didn't really apologize for the Reformation. I just apologized for like the last hundred years of the Reformation where all we do is shout about the Reformation, how great it was, and don't reform anybody. So I don't mind Luther being your hero at all, provided he's not the Luther who the LCMS like caricatures. The Luther that we inherit 
and are taught to like kind of, you know, here I stand with, um, that Luther's a, just a, he's a comic book character. The real Luther was an earthly struggling man who was set free from his fear. And it was so great, a freedom that he never went back, even though all the fears of the worst possible scenarios in his life came, came true in some ways, you know, in terms of losing, uh, all sorts of stuff. And, and so to, to have that be heroic, to see a man who, when he discovered what the scripture surely said, put it all on it. Like it's, Oh, it, red or black. The scriptures say black. It's all on black. <laughs> nope. I'm ready. Roll it. You know, uh, no more second thoughts. Right. And he did that. The other reason that I would see Luther as a hero and I, I mean, he's got his warts and he's just been wax nose too much to use these days. Um, but Dr. Luther of Bell's memory, he was wise for a reason. He was what he was for a reason. And it wasn't just that he lucidly, lucidly spoke of the phrase justification by grace through faith in such a way that Philip Melanchthon could write it to the expert confession and deliver it at Augsburg and, and, and half of Christianity could be preserved from the tyranny of the Pope who to kill people for believing that. Um, and God bless that. I don't think that's what Luther's real insight was. I don't think that's what we're supposed to get from Luther. Luther's reformation of his own self happened in the Psalms, in the Hebrew. That's how Luther's my hero. I've decided I'm going to do that. I'm never going to stop. And whatever he did, it's because what he found there. I've not been disappointed in Proverbs so far. Let me tell you, it's blown my mind what an idiot I am and how little I've even looked at the first couple of verses. I can't, honestly, it's, I don't want to get you into it. It's just like, it's just too much. Um, but, you know, I bought a Hebrew grammar this week to go deeper. I was just say that. Uh, Luther's, I, I'm convinced Luther's confidence came from what he knew those Psalms said through his baptism and that everything else he did came from that practice. So Lutheranism has not endeavored to, to, or I shouldn't say endeavored. Lutheranism has never successfully turned its fathers into what Luther was, right? A man who loved his Psalter so much he wanted to talk about it all the time. We've not done that. And we almost like think you have to be a pastor to do that, which is nonsense. It should be the goal of every congregation to get all their kids to know the Psalter is Jesus' prayer book that they're paid for and the Psalter is theirs like Harry Potter spells, cast it at the world, say it out loud, because you know what? It's the antidote story to the greatest lie ever told. Um, so that's that's where I think we need to really have Luther be our hero for the first time. Not so much like, oh, look at what he did at the Diet of Worms, although that's pretty cool. But the way that he did it was not by deciding, I'm going to go to the Diet of Worms and take a stand. He did it by deciding, I love Jesus and want to be with him. I'm going to read and teach the Psalms because it's what I got to do for my conscience. And then once he did that, he said, I got to tell everybody about what I found. And it was justification, but might I contend that trying to teach justification through the Augsburg Confession might not be the most effective way to do it. Maybe it should be taught through the Psalms. Have we tried? I'm not so sure. Trying now, right? So I'm with you, Brian, but I'm going to go one, one more on you with this here. Okay, so I had a moment about six months ago 
Or I think what happened was I asked one of my kids, um, you know, who's your hero? And I said, I said, you're not allowed to say Jesus. And she looked so heartbroken. I felt really bad. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, no, really. Jesus can be your hero. I was just meaning like a real hero. And I caught myself. And I, I had to ask the question, why is it that Jesus can't be a hero? And I realized it's because the Jesus that, for me, the Jesus that that phrase, Jesus, the name Jesus, always called to mind was some long-haired hippie douche. Sorry. I mean, that's really what it is. It's hard to get inspired by that. So what I realized was that the the Jesus who I had been seen in pictures my whole life wasn't Jesus. The Jesus of the Psalter, ooh, my. <laughs> now he's a man. Um, and uh, uh, buying into that idea again to 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 let Jesus rebrand himself with his own words as the king of both sacrifice, prayer, and with Proverbs wisdom. Well, that guy's my hero. <laughs> There ain't no choice. I mean, he's the king of kings, lord of lords. And, and the more that we can unleash him from the baggage that we piled on the font of his pictures, um, the better, right? The better. Luther, the same thing. Every single Christian, every single Christian's life is given to be an inspiration to us. Um, I had this thought just this morning. It's kind of crazy, but I somehow I was pondering paradise and eternity and you know, my kids yesterday had asked, you know, don't you get scared of forever? And I, well, I did before I realized it's going to be like this, only cool. And I'm like, oh, well, it's, yeah, it's be all right, I think. <laughs> um, oh, I'm going to lose it. Oh, yeah, here it is. And, and it was pointing forever. It's like, so what are you going to do forever? And I had this thought about storytelling. And I had this thought. This all came really fast. It was a matter of like three seconds, five seconds. I had a really long thought in a few seconds about storytelling a long thought about Judgment Day and the books that are opened that tell us everything we've ever done. And I didn't imagine Judgment Day lasting forever. What I imagined is, you know, flash over, we're in paradise. There's Jerusalem, the great city, right over there. You can walk up this afternoon for evening prayer and vespers. Everybody does. And then you walk back down. How's it, how's it work? There's billions of us. Well, it works. We all get there. And we all come back to our places, all that. Are we all going to be all the same? Or are we going to be di- distinct? Are we going to have vocations? I believe firmly we're going to have vocations. You're, you're not going to do everything. You do one thing. Maybe you'll do one thing for a long time and then do something else. There's plenty of time, right? But your vocations are going to be kind of where they are. And I was thinking about how um, my particular thing I haven't done in this life that I want to do is be a storyteller. Like, tell stories. Be a bard. I'm starting to do it a little bit now more uh, on purpose, just like this right here. And um, so imagine though, like how long would this take? How many days? Uh, every day for Vespers, you go up to Jerusalem and that night you are regaled with the story of Jim, the Christian from 1532, born his whole life, every struggle, every trial, the great epic of his life, the fulfillment of it in his baptism into Christ and resurrection. Tomorrow night we do, you know, Jenny from, uh, from Hungary. There's a lot there, I think. We might be entertained for quite a while with such regaling tales of overcoming by the blood of Christ. What a thought, huh? What a thought. So heroes are there to inspire, and Christians are meant to be heroes. We're meant to be heroes. We are born heroes. We are, we are born heroes who've forgotten. Do you know you're an alien species from the future who is here to tell the world that the hero who rose has made you risen, and so they can kill you, and you're okay with it? Let's go, guys. Join us. Or kill me. Yay. <laughs> we need to be 
heroic in the sense of seeing them, not us. Seeing their need, not ours. And jumping to them. Not because we're going to build a church by manipulating it so we can get all our income coming. No, because it's good and right and true and because we're Christians in Christ. He's risen. We're not going to die. And we're not going to sit here and let this fading, defunct, plastic, sugar-filled, not even real food and not even that actually entertaining Pinocchio pleasure island of a nonsense matrix land tell us how to think anymore. Hmm. That's where I'm at, where me and my house are at. Wherever you might be, I'm glad you're watching. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Do tune in Tuesday night. We've got four hours of content. Who knows what it's going to be. I'm sure it'll say something offensive at some point, but the real goal is to have iron sharpen iron around the chaos so that at the end we stand firm and say, well, that's my president because that's how it works. And well, what happens next? That's, that's another thing. We should talk about that too, but we should always talk about it as those who know that what we're going to do next Sunday, not, not this Sunday, next Sunday is not going to be any different from what we're doing this Sunday, because that's the way the church works. We do not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. We lift up our heads, watch that day approach and increasingly believe that the fear of Jesus Christ is the head of all wisdom. We'll catch you guys Tuesday night. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? (laughs) 